So do we want to just start without Richard then? Richard sucks. Well, no, Richard's work schedule sucks. Yes. Yeah, well, there's that too. Because he's working, what, like 12 hours a day? Yeah, I don't blame him for kind of just wanting to like collapse when he gets home. All right, All right. let's go ahead and do do the thing. Let us rock. All right, so in. And or roll. And or roll. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that is one book into a 12-month cycle. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And no Richard today because his work schedule is garbage right now because he his uh, work is hitting its busy season. So it's just going to be the three of us tonight back in the studio. Uh, but uh, we are taking a look at the first book in the Psychic Awakening series, Phoenix Rising, which we have a copy of, courtesy of Games Workshop. Thank you, Games Workshop. And we're going to be uh, taking a look at what that book entails and kind of the tone it sets for this new year-long campaign event thing that they're kicking off. But before we get into that, as always, news and new releases and your listener mail. And... Uh, New, one news and one new release is that there is a box set that is a companion to Phoenix Rising, which is Blood of the Phoenix, which includes the new models for Drezar and Janezar, which uh, have been they, they were announced on the Games Workshop site. A lot of the stats have been released for them. They look amazing. Yeah, the models look amazing. They're yeah. fantastic. Um, along with new plastic banshees and new plastic incubi, which also look really nice. Yeah, and it's nice <laughs> they get new options. Yes. Well, not new, new options, but... Like, the return of some old options. The return of some old options. Right, because, like, they, uh, like the Howling Banshee Exarch can take a Triskel now. Yeah. Which they, they just didn't have a model for right. for the longest they time. They never had a model for that before. And then also the um, Clavex for the Incubi can now take Demiclaves again. Yes. So, like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, lots of options, Not and good to see them in plastic, finally. However... <laughs> however so the blood of the phoenix box uh is an interesting uh set because let me bring up the actual uh list of contents for the box because it's a uh it's got like a 40 page booklet with uh all the stats for everything in there and the like a little mini campaign kind of like shadow spear had it's up for pre-order it, like it just went up for pre-order uh, this past weekend. So it should be available for sale. Although apparently from what I've picked up from local stores in the area, it is a one and done run. It is a kind of a limited edition. This is the only time we're releasing it because eventually they're going to release the models as separate kits. Yeah. Yeah. So blood of the blood of the Phoenix contains, come on games workshop site work faster. Here we go. I can rattle it off if you want me to, if you want. Okay. Yeah. You've got Jane's are in the Banshees along with a, um, Falcon and what is the other a Viper mm-hmm. that's on the Eldar side on the um, Drakari side you have Drazar the Incubi some uh, the Scourge not the Scourges yeah no Scourges Scourges and then the Ravager not Ravagers Reavers Hellions Hellions 
Anyway, the ones on the jet, not the, the yeah. hover pads. Man, I'm just doing bad with names today. And so it's and, and a, a venom. viper and a venom. venom, venom. Yeah, yeah. I already said viper. Yeah. So it's got a lot of stuff, just not a lot of stuff that you would really want or need. All right. So now here's the question: Is how much would you pay for that figure collection? I would say 180 because what? that seems to be in about the price point of most of their big box sets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that is not the price that it is going for. <laughs> it's $230. I know. And I saw that and my jaw dropped and I'm like, well, it's probably still a deal. And then I priced it all out and it's with current prices for US dollars, it was like 317 not counting the book or the other things. Like, when Jane's are and Dre's are, if they come out as what I'm they'll probably be like thirty to forty dollars. They'll probably be forty dollar kits as opposed to twenty five that they are now. Yeah, so it's probably closer to about three fifty ish. It's it's not a bad like yeah. If you just look at it from a purely financial aspect, it's not a bad deal. My it's still though at that price point. There's it has kind of crossed the river. Two hundred barrier. Yeah, that that two hundred dollar barrier for a box set of finding finding players who are going to split this box i don't think you'll find that many no and that's like past boxes it was like space marines and something else and it's very easy Mm -hmm. to find a space marine player who'd be willing to split a box with you this is going to be a lot harder because it's it's just yeah Yeah. it's pure eldar so unless you have unless you are either buying it for yourself at which point 230 is still a big ask or you have in a craft world and a Dark Eldar player. Which is that good luck on on. Ha- I mean, I think most people who play one play the other as well because they yeah. con- and especially with Yunari being a thing, you've probably picked up pieces of both. I think my slight complaint about it is a lot of these are units that don't see play on the table. They're not units that got right. buffs. They're. I don't want to say they feel like throwaway units, but they they feel like. Are they overstock units? Is that why they're here? Because, I mean, you can't even spin it like, oh, yeah, the Falcon's here because you can put your people in it. Well, you you can, but not all of them. Well, and, and also there's something about, like, the sets that are included. Like, I think a Shadow Spear. Everything in Shadow Spear, even if it wasn't a new unit, was a brand new model. It was brand new uh, Chaos Space Marines. And, in fact, Monopose Space Marines that don't, that are slightly different from the ones in the new bo- like 10 model box set. Brand new obliterators. The Venom Crawler is a brand new thing. The Master Possession is a brand new unit. Greater Possessed, brand new. Kind of crap, but still brand new. Um, <laughs> like the Infiltrators, like all the Space Marine side, completely brand new stuff. And that was, a, I believe, 180 bot. Well, and, and that goes to the thing of if you're going to do something this big and at that price still... Please be careful with the 200 threshold. 180 is perfect because 180 with tax gets you around 200 oh, in the States. Right. And, and also in the box, please either make the models new or make them have new rules to make them want to be used. Shadow, okay. Shadow Spear, $175. Oh, well, that's 175, yeah. 180. Yeah. But I mean, saying like yeah. there's a, there's a significant difference in price, but I feel like not a significant difference in the number of models. And then you look at what's in here. It's like, okay. Jane Zar and Drezar, brand new models. Fantastic. Yes. Great. Uh, brand new Banshees. Okay, cool. Brand new Incubi. Cool. Hellions and Scourges. 
four, five-year-old kit at this point? Three to four-year-old? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, those aren't bad. They're not. Other than they don't see play on the table, unless they don't, unless they got a rules update. Yeah. Actually, they're older. Guys, I, I hate to date us, but they're way older than that, because those, those models were redone in fifth edition. In oh. fifth edition? Okay. okay so yeah. we're talking yeah, like seven years, <laughs> like six to seven-year-old models. Well, it's like, it. it's one of those where like, ah, it's only four or five years ago is when we started the podcast, but yeah. Okay. It's back when we started the podcast. You're, you're so. right. This was the, the, cause the Dark Eldar release there was the first time they made really yes. dynamic posed models. Yeah. And Dark Eldar were the first ones. So we're talking, so let, let's say seven to eight year old models yeah. there. Venom is the same line. So same. The yeah. Viper and the Falcon are like 15 to 20 year old models. They're, they're like yeah. third edition old. Third to fourth edition. If they, the if Falcon is like the same one. Models. Yeah. But they haven't. Yeah. It's, so yeah, that's where it kind of feels like is this an overstock sale that they've just lumped in here and then charged a fifty dollar premium for this? Because I mean, I, I'll also say if they had done something like with Vigilus, has given you like a stratagem to make a, no, for lack of a word, a detachment or an overlay, whatever they're called in that one, I forgot. A specialist, a specialist, a specialist attachment. attachment for the stuff in the box. That would be kind of cool. It might see a yeah. use than if it was had some cool rules with it. But and we granted we haven't seen what's in here, but I believe that the stat rules are just the same ones that are in Phoenix Rising. Uh, for the new models, yes, there's yeah. no stat rules in Phoenix Rising for any of the right. old models. Right. So yeah, it's it seems like a really, really, really high price point for while technically, as you said, in like pure plastic based on their current pricing scheme. Which, let's face it, their prices lately have been get, starting to get into that inflated range. Where, because I, I was thinking about this on the on the way home from work today, because they've also announced uh, uh, some other things that are coming up for pre releases. They're finally having a uh, plastic infiltrator slash incursor kit for Space Marines. Uh, the plas- the Impulsor, their new transport. There's finally a kit for that. Also, the uh, the salamanders and imperial fist supplements are up for pre-order along with the two special characters for them which are both brand new characters that's all very very cool i looked at the price on the impulsor because i was kind of curious because like a rhino is around like 40 41 bucks used to be 35 it's up to like 41 now so i'm like well this is kind of like the rhino for primera so it's probably going to be a bit more than 40 but it's it's no repulsor. It's certainly not going to be like an $88, $90 kit. It's $70. And I look at that and it's like, that has officially crossed the point where once upon a time, the, the pricing was such that like if an army had a new unit that came out and it was an army unit or an army I played, I'd most likely be ready to like just pick it up just, just out of completeness sake. You know, just kind of pick it up on impulse. I don't think you can casually pick up new units anymore price wise yeah i think we've kind of reached that point and it's a weird thing to say and it's I, I it's one of these things like i want to be very careful of this because this could easily this was the same kind of thing that triggered the rant episode that we have that never <laughs> made it to air years and years ago but i'm concerned and i know some of it is gw he- hedging their bets on the what is going to happen at the end of October, because they have no <laughs> no one has any idea what's going to happen with the whole Brexit thing. So, and again, regardless of what side you are on the aisle, on the aisle in the aisles, uh, 
be ready for That's interesting a- times. Well, uncertainty yeah. always leads towards unstable markets. Right. And so to hedge their bets, I imagine this, I, I'm sure it's not the only reason, but I imagine it's very strongly entering into their calculus on how they're pricing things lately. So yeah, it's just the, the prices are starting to get to a point where it's uncomfortable. Uh, to it's it is much easier to and maybe it should always have been this way to just like build your army strategically and figure out okay what are the units i need to do the thing that i want to do rather than just like i'm gonna buy all the things because i want to have all the options and i've very much gone from the i want to have all the options player to okay i want this option (laughs) i need to build this option and test it until it goes until i can drive into the ground and then figure out the next option and i i think all players go through all those phases Uh based on how much time they have how much free money they can spend on the hobby true and just how much they enjoy things because at times we're like sometimes we see oh man that's a really cool model i don't and i you just want to have it and then there's other times like Will this model help my army out? It's kind of cool looking, but so I mean, it's yeah, give and take. Yeah, but I, uh, but I think with the way things are being priced now, it's getting a little bit more uncomfortable. It, it's it's it, it becomes easier to fall it more into onto the side of does this help my army rather than rule a cool. So yeah. But and to to mention the other things that are coming out uh, as mentioned the last well I want to say yeah the last two of the founding chapter supplements that are not Blood Angel Space Wolves or Dark Angels because they are still going to have their own codexes because they don't use the doctrine system apparently yes we've got uh, Salamanders and uh, Imperial Fists coming or they will be up for pre order next week. So by the time you hear this, they will yeah. probably be up for pre-order, but they won't be out yet. Uh, we, we're getting Tor Garadon, who is a new Imperial Fist, who is actually kind of cool looking because he's like in big chunky Gravis armor with a uh, shoulder-mounted grab gun. Yep, Tor Garadon. And then Adrax Agatone for the uh, Salamanders, who has a, th- a Thunder Hammer. Yeah, and like a cool hand flamer. Yes. He just like, looks his, really cool. His model rocks. Oh, yeah. His no, he's got awesome. a fantastic looking model. And then they're going to have uh, upgrade parts for uh, both arms, including finally a uh, Primaris Sergeant Thunderhammer for the Salamanders. They've got a Thunderhammer bit there and, and a Power Fist for the Imperial Fist, which I think they've they included those once before. Like they did that art, the Christmas army kit last year. Yeah. And it had yeah, the, they had them included in there. Yeah. Now, it's cool to see more options coming out. Yeah. So we're going to finally ha- have those up. Uh, yeah. And the new Impulsor, which has a ton of options because it's, it's got the shield dome on it, which gives it a four up save or or a four up invold or it can take a anti flyer weaponry or it can take a missile array. It's, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of a Primaris uh, Razorback, which is cool. Uh, and it's actually like point wise, it's actually a very attractive choice. I know some people don't like it because it looks like an El Camino, but <laughs> they all do. I mean, <laughs> I will say with as much focus Primaris is getting, which they should, I still feel like there's going to be the whole break between Primaris and non Primaris. I hate to say it, but Primaris is going to win that fight. <laughs> They're so oh, much yeah. better. I mean, in every regard. No, unless the non Primaris team up with 
other things. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what the story does. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's true. We've got a, we've got eleven more months of uh, psychic awakening. So, uh, yeah, and then like a new uh, finally a, a multi part kit for infiltrators that also makes incursors, which is cool because uh, those are a very popular troop choice right now. Because just being able to uh, basically infiltrate them anywhere is very very useful on the tabletop. So that is all coming down mm-hmm. the pipe. Other than that, it's mostly been, let's see, we had the uh, Aeronautica Imperialis release uh, several weeks ago, which has apparently been stupid popular. Like, I've seen, that oh, thing yeah. has just been blowing up everywhere. Yeah, there's been a ton of interest for it around here at the stores down here, and the models just look amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's yeah. a very cool And apparently cool it's a very game. fun game, too. So their uh, specialist department has been kind of hitting it out of the park lately. Titanic Adeptus Titanicus is still really popular. Um, Kill Team's obviously doing great. Um, Blackstone Fortress they released. Uh, they they just released a hard mode AI deck for the game, <laughs> or uh, like a hard mode encounter deck. So uh, it, it, they're like, oh, are you bored of Blackstone Fortress? Even though we just like added the new expansion for it and everything, has it gotten too easy? Here, play this. It will break you. <laughs> Which. That game gets hard enough as you get later into it anyway, but I guess if you have finally beaten yeah. all the challenges, which I've picked up the expansion for it, so I think I have all the expansions. I, I didn't pick up the super hard deck because I figure playing through regular, I, 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 I play my games to enjoy them, not for them to try to break me. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I am not a Dark Souls style player. But uh, this is definitely something I w- I want to uh, get a campaign like just do a like a a regular game night type thing and play this just because the the one time we played it at uh, Renegade last year was a lot of fun so want to want to do that yeah and Dennis really hasn't was. gotten a chance to play it with us yet so there was one other thing that uh, is kind of an afterthought because it doesn't matter but that the Bandai uh, Primaris Intercessor Space Marine action figure oh yeah it went up went for pre order for pre order. And sold out. So, oh my god! Well, they made nine thousand. There's like nine thousand of them. But still, it yeah. just looked huge and it was expensive. Yeah, it was a hundred dollars for for a figure, which is expensive for one of these. I don't know what to think about it. Like, I'm kind of. I know I saw a lot of people criticizing GW for doing it limited because the other thing too is that when you pre-order it, it won't be delivered for nine to ten months. Like. They're selling out the nine thousand, and then they're sending the order to the to the to Bandai, and then they'll get them in like nine months. I not a fan. I, I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of people criticizing that as as effectively when Raf criticized it before too, where like other companies, uh, big companies, used Kickstarter as kind of a pre order platform, and that's what this feels like. It's like you guys couldn't have just yelled out the money to get them quicker. I, I don't they know. I, probably I suppose, did not know how it was going to do. Yeah, I, I see both sides of it because it is the first time they've done something like this. But I don't know. It, it made me it made me far less interested when I saw the high price point and the fact that it was going to be almost a year before I got it. Yeah. So to be fair, I shouldn't say this, but if they had done one of those figures for like a Jane Czar, I might have been interested in picking set up because that would be a statuesque piece that you would put on display at that price point. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like I like the idea that they're doing it, and I've seen, you know, I've seen the 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 ones in person at Gen Con, and they look awesome. But uh, shelling out a hundred bucks and then not having it for 
almost a year. Like if I hope they do more and I hope they don't do pre-orders next time, but uh, it's, I don't know it, that, you know, we've talked about things that GW has done with or hasn't done as well as they could have. This feels like it's not the right way they hand, to handle it. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm kind of sad that I feel like they missed an opportunity here because it's Bandai, so they could have, rather than having an action figure, like a pre-made action figure, they could have released it as like a gunplicate, like the gun yeah. plastics, and that, and then like have it so somebody could paint it up and customize it themselves, but still have it be like full because the gunplicates are fully posable; they're fully articulated the same yeah, kind of way. Absolutely, and who knows? Yeah, maybe really- this is a gunplicate, and they just haven't mentioned it but i kind of got the impression it was a pre-constructed this is always an ultramarine figure and you just get it as is yeah so there are so the one that i saw at gen con like there's different hand options Mm -hmm. so like you can have him holding the gun different ways and and it's posable but i don't know if it's like a like a kit you build and paint or if it's going to come and i'll say this if it's a kit that you have to build and paint I'm even kind of more mad that they priced it at a hundred dollars. Cause that's, you know, Cheaper at least for a hundred dollars. Well, but like at least at a hundred dollars, it's like, okay, I at least have this painted kit that like I get and it's, you know, and it's ready to go. If I'm paying a hundred dollars and I have to assemble it and I have to paint it. Uh, well, a hundred dollars for a, by comparison, very simple gunplay kit. Cause yeah. Cause like, you can go like at like you can go to Barnes and Noble and get a gunplicate with like translucent plastics and like that expand like has parts that like pop open and expand and things like that and they're like seventy or eighty bucks and yeah. they're really like high end kits. This would be like a forty to fifty dollar kit at best if it was yeah. yeah. So I'm feeling it's already constructed for you, but still that is a really, really, really high price point for an action figure. I, I, I think what they're banking on there is the whole limited edition numbered run type thing. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know. It's the more details I learned about it, the less interested I was in it, which was disappointing. Cause that was something I was kind of, kind of excited about initially. Yeah. Man, this episode's like we're coming down, like we're we're coming in this episode like beaten up on GW all the time. I'm, I, I well, hope we were too. We've been too positive for like six years, so every once in a while we should be a little bit negative. Yeah, we have. <laughs> it, we we've been accruing uh, accruing debt. We have to pay off with negativity. Well, I mean, we have to throw off the sense a little bit, otherwise people will understand that GW is just sending us uh, sending us checks every month to be shills for them. <laughs> Wait a minute, they're sending us checks every month. You signed a different oh, contract sorry, those than are I going did. to me. I yeah. God damn. <laughs> yeah, they send those to me. I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah, sorry. It's too late. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, wa- to wash the taste of that out There's of some cool mouth. stuff coming out. Yeah. <laughs> now there, there is. There's cool stuff coming. At my, oh, my, my. Really, my only complaint is that we're starting to hit that uncomfortable price point area, area again. Yeah. And and again, I think the Blood of the Phoenix set seems really. Like the jump in cost between Shadow Spear and this seems really, really high, especially because apparently Blood of the Phoenix is a one and done set where they're doing one pressing of it and that's it. Yeah. Whereas like Shadow Spear, you can still buy right now. They haven't sold out of Shadow Spear. Well, the other thing that the thing about it that kind of is a little bit frustrating to me is it makes me worry about what that sister's kit's gonna 
that sister's box is going to be. Like what the price point on it's going to be, which actually I guess that's another thing. Oh, that's right. Because they did they, finally release because it got leaked. <laughs> it got, yeah. It got leaked in China. Strange how that's <laughs> been in the news lately. Uh, yeah. So our, our guess wasn't completely off. <laughs> no, no. But the the unit that we didn't take into account was arcoflagellants. Which uh, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Plastic arcoflagellants. Well, because you think about it, we've got a, we have at least one plastic crusader. Now, because there's one in the uh, expansion yep. for Blackstone Fortress, mm-hmm. and so now we're just a waiting. For- different plastic Inquisitor kits. Yeah, now we're just waiting for like plastic Death Cult assassins and plastic priests. Besides, like the one named character priest that's in uh, uh, original Blackstone Fortress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been talk that with the stuff they've released with Blackstone, that they're getting very close to a Lost in the Damned uh, uh, Codex army. They're also slow building an Inquisition forces too, which is awesome. Yes. So eventually they'll have they'll have an actual full on army there. In the uh, in the sisters box, uh, which is due out in November, but we don't have an exact date. Uh, one canonist, so the the new canonist they released at uh, Adepticon. Uh, ten battle sisters, five seraphim, one Repentia superior. Four Repentia, three Arcoflagellans, one Penitent Engine, the Exclusive Edition Codex Adeptus Soratos, and then the Data Cards, Dice, Transfer Sheet, and a mini rules booklet. Just the little, it's like the little eight-page fold-out. Oh, yeah. and that's the other thing that, uh, something else that got announced since our last episode where we were all in the studio together, was a mini version of the rule book. A little mini hardbound rule book. Although I think that may have disappeared off their site. Like it was announced and then it went away. Yeah, because I have not been able to find that in any of the stores so you know so far. So So yeah, about that. Um so what I gathered from it was like when they first they announced that they were going to release one. And this was very pot you know, the idea of this was like people were all on board for this. Oh no, no, it's still available. It's available for on their yeah, website. It's, it's a web exclusive well, though. It, website, and it's available for purchase. Yeah, it's so okay. Uh, so it's fifty dollars. The core rule book is sixty. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. That's what so it's it not so much the product. Hardbound, yeah. Hardcover. Well it's not so much that the product went away as the interest in it went away. Also, yeah. from what I've gathered, now I, I I have not seen a hard, fast confirmation of this, so take this with a huge grain of salt. But from what I understand, it is just a reprinting of the rules sections from the main book. It does not include any of the updates that have been made to the core game over the last two or three years <laughs> in Chapter Proof mm. or in the big FAQs. See, I, that would be. See, I thought, I thought we were going to continue this segment to like. End it on a positive note. Yeah, so much for that. that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think this, it's, it's one of these ideas. This is a case where it's like an idea that people want. I still have some of my little mini rule books from like sixth and seventh edition, mm-hmm. which were fantastic and I love them. And cause it was, you couldn't buy them separately, but that was one of the perks of buying the box set is you got the little rule book and then you took that with you to tournaments rather than the, the tome. Yeah. And, I know part of this is kind of, you know, they include those little r- rules foldouts because, hey, these are the core rules and that's all you need. Except that you've updated the core rules, but you haven't updated the core rules document. 
Yeah. That like they should release like a here's a thirty dollar kind of like a general's handbook size or chapter proof size. Yeah. Here is the softbound thirty bucks. Here's all the rules. Here's the battle for like it's the core rules, the battle forge rules, whatever things you want to put in. It's been updated with all the changes we've made. Even if they did like this is I think it should just be part of chapter approved, honestly. Like this is your twenty I would agree your, with that. Yeah, here's your twenty nineteen rule book for the twenty nine you know, to last you until twenty twenty. Just Yeah. I do like that idea because there aren't that many pages in the tome of rules yeah that you really need and because they made it that way they wanted to make a very simplistic here's your 10 12 pages of rules and yeah put all just reprint those in chapter approved so people when they go to tournaments all you need is your copy of chapter approved yeah bring the latest chapter approved your codexes you're good because yeah because that's one of the the complaints you see is that people are like well i've got to bring my they've got to bring the big rule book and a copy of chapter approved and whatever codexes I need, and plus any books that have a specialist attachment. And if you could just say, okay, chapter approved, always has the core rules, has the latest version of the Battleforged Army Construction Rules, the latest stratagems that you can use with the Battleforged Rules, that's going to be like 16, 20 pages most. Boom, yeah. done. That's all that you put that in there. Everybody has their yearly update to the rules, and that's all you need. It's got the yearly update to the rules, your yearly point increases, decreases, etc. Any additional new stuff that they want to put in, and you're done. And people just bring that, and it'd be like, okay, so this is I, I basically buy a patch every year for my game, and then I'm done. Yeah. So to to end this on a more positive note, there we go. Those Arcoflagellum models are cool. They are. <laughs> no, no, the the new sisters models. Yeah. Look fantastic, and I'm hoping it doesn't sell out before I can order it. Yeah, because it is a limited edition set. The new GW, uh, the, the Mitch- GW. Since you're listening, send us a send us a pre copy, man. <laughs> Instead of the monthly check for this for for November, just send us just send us a box. Early. And by us, you we, you mean you? <laughs> Whatever, I'll give you some of the models. <laughs> I do like the new Repentious Superior too, with the uh, the dual the the way they've got the neural whips. Again, going with the yeah, uh, the very bad. dynamic posing. Yeah, no, she looks great. The Arc of Flagellants look great. Everything in that box looks fantastic, and I'm I'm excited for the new models. Even if I'm and it, yeah, it looks like the Arc of Flagellants might be on twenty twenty five mil bases, and the sisters Everything themselves on thirty twos. Yeah, oh. and it looks like the Penitent Engine yeah. might be on a sixty. Yeah, it looks like if it's not a 50, it's a 60 for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a 60. Yep. So, well, I'm just going to have to bite the rebase, bullet but... and rebase. Yeah. Why you got to do this to me, G Dubs? Oh, well. <laughs> so much for positive note. Here I am bitching. I'm going to have to rebase my army. But also that the. Oh, that's uh, that's the ex- your own issue, though. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's one I brought on myself. That's not that's not them. Although the also the uh, the cover of the the special edition codex is beautiful. So, oh, oh yeah that that is really cool yeah so so that's our positive note that it's gonna be a really cool looking box it's got some neat content you know it's got good models with it i'm looking forward to trying my hand at getting a copy and hoping not to be utterly disappointed when they disappear in like five minutes because you know these are going to go fast all right anyway let's move on to some happier stuff and talk talk listener mail 
Uh, as always, this all these letters are written by you, the listeners. And if you want to know how to uh, get your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. And first off, speaking of happy notes, we're going to start with some praise by Richard Pennertz. And Richard writes, I would like to salute you guys for both using the proper plural form of Lord Discordant and for plugging Kings of War for rank and flank fantasy wargaming. Definitely made my podcast listening day. It's Lord's Discordance, right? It's Lord. Mm. Only one of the. <laughs> That's Lord's. It's Lord's, Lord's Discordance. Yeah. No, no, no. You don't pluralize the discordant part. <laughs> it's just the Lord. The Lord's Discordance. No, I know. I know. I just, <laughs> He's messing with no, me. No, I know. And we got it correctly. I just, yes, we did. I just liked messing with people. <laughs> and then also, yeah, Kings of War, which Lord likes. Yeah, Kings of War 3rd Edition is coming out from Mantic if you like moving blocks of units around. If, that's, if that is your style of fantasy play. There's a game for that. Well, and and I'll say this as well. Like, Mantic is a really good company. Like the the people that run it are cool. They make good models. They make good rules. Like they're they're a good fun company. I highly would recommend any of their games. Yeah, and they also made sure they've always made sure to have rules that represent but are legally distinct from any of the armies that GW has put out that aren't part of their game world. Although I don't know if they're, they may, I don't know, they, maybe they've reached the point where now they're just breaking off and completely doing their own things separately and they've got their own world and, and own setting and own rules. But, uh, cause I, they, they've probably reached a point where Age of Sigmar is, is like old fantasy is so disconnected now that they don't feel like they have to ape it and they can mm-hmm. just do their own thing. But they're established now. You know, yeah, they, exactly. They've done that. All right, next up is a letter from Dustin Brown. Dustin writes, Hey, all just finished listening to your Iron Halo rundown. It was a great listen. Jason does an awesome job, and it's always good to hear how On the Rock gets to benefit from our presence. I was really bummed I didn't get to make it this year, as it's one of my favorite events on the Midwest 40K calendar, possibly on par with Midwest Conquest. Congrats to Dennis for passing on the honor of the wooden spoon. Now, for my question to the team. On the podcast, Jason said he was reluctant to stream the Dennis versus Nathan showdown because he preferred a top-tier player. This got me thinking as to why I don't watch live streams of tournaments. It's always the usual suspects. It gets a bit dull. I don't play tournaments to place top eight. I go for the atmosphere, meet new and old friends, admire some armies, roll some dice. What's your take on tournament streaming? Should it be only the top table all the time, or should a variety of players get some time on stream too, like Battle for Bottom Place or just two really good-looking armies? Should people be able to nominate themselves to be streamed based on some some of the above criteria? In an ideal world, streams could be able to jump from one table to another, but significant upfront costs to do that. <laughs> what we can do in the meanwhile to make streaming more appealing, or what can we do there? In an ideal world, streams could be able to jump from one table to another, but with significant upfront costs to do that, what can we do in the meanwhile to make streaming more appealing to the other side of the hobby? As for me, next time I sit down to hobby, I think I'll be putting on the Dennis versus Nathan matches. It's the only tournament stream that's piqued my interest since it's become the norm. As always, keep up the good work and maybe see some of you in Denver sometime. Dustin. Okay. I'm going to say it's because that match also had stellar commentary, too. <laughs> well, yeah, Scarry was really good. I did. He, he really was. He carried the whole thing. Thing. <laughs> I did think about this after it came in, and my my first thing is yes, I would like to, and I think Jason thought about it as well as have like if you're at a tournament, have two streams, one for just the top table, and one for this is an interesting match. Be it like you a pairing of two beautifully painted armies, a pairing of an army you don't see played much, like if someone showed up with a Black Templar's army, get them on there once so we can actually see that. 
but I think the downside there mm-hmm. is you really have to, to be entertaining, it needs to have a narrative with it. So, it's like your match had a narrative of these are players who went bet last at each other's events and let's let's see how they you know it's kind of that battle for the bottom and let's turn this into an interesting game to watch though right and and to i guess the credit i've i've heard people even i had a coworker watch the game cuz i told him about it he said he said yeah you look guys look like you were having fun there and and so and i think that's one of the things that uh, dustin might be referring to here is cuz a lot of times when you watch the streams you see the top players it's very focused right? it, it, they are so laser focused in that sometimes you don't know that they're having fun. Cause, and, and the commentators do it are what I, I would say yeah. carry those matches because they provide some of the live, they make it a little more lively. They explain things. Cause yeah, the, the two players are just so focused on the game, which yeah, that is great for learning the top tier. And for some people who don't get to go around to tournaments who are very into the tournament scene, that's what they want to see, and that is easy to keep them up to date with what is going on at, in the tournament scene. But I'll also go to Dustin's point. I would still love to be there. Like, like there's an ESPN, there's an ESPN 2. I would love to see Iron Halo 2, or Iron Halo Stream 2, be Iron for, Halo, the Ocho. <laughs> the Ocho. Uh, Ocho, Iron Halo, whatever. <laughs> Jason, come up with a good name. The Iron Ocho. <laughs> the Iron Ocho. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's a Halo. Just twist it up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but to show some of those like interesting matchups, but for that to work, you'd have to have players that can get along or, or, or were interesting. Like Nate and I, I mean, it, it was like a basement game. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. having commentators who can kind of know the people or the armies and explain or play off of what's going on. Well, and like uh, Jason yeah. said, he talked to Scarry from Scarcast and or from Scardcast, and basically said, "Hey, you got you kind of do a coaching service. Let's turn this into a coaching opportunity, so he can provide commentary on what you guys are doing and say, like, okay, that's a good play. I would have done this differently, and that would probably be the best way to do it if you had like a um, Iron Ocho, uh, because <laughs> it would be nice to have someone who, who talked. If you had two beautifully painted armies." You could have a painter commentator, but you normally line up the commentators before you know who's on the game. And that's the yeah. problem with that. So the only one that you can always have is, well, here, here, coaching is the best way to do it. Or just have someone who might also have a little bit of painting knowledge if they zoom in because on the models that so we're just hold up a model to talk about the paint job or something. Other things on like the secondary stream to show the hobby or just the entertainment or just people having fun. Now, yeah. I, I will say, while it's not streaming, it's not live streaming, and, and the format is a little bit different, because obviously with a live stream, you're watching the game as it unfolds, nothing is cut, versus like video battle report. If you're looking for something that's a little less hardcore and a little bit more just kind of two people with neat looking armies playing, uh, miniwargaming.com has a bunch that they put on their, uh, on their YouTube channel, and plus they also have like the vault where they have like everything that they've ever put up um, as their like subscription service. But uh, uh, that that's you know, there's a lot of people putting up video bat reps. 
depending on how many they're at, how they're edited. I mean, you still get a lot of, you don't get necessarily the moving of models, but a lot of times you'll get like, we'll skip the movement phase and just show you where models ended up. But then they'll like mini wargaming, they actually do the rolls on camera. So you can kind of like see mm-hmm. who, like how they hit, how many, like how much damage they did, et cetera. And uh, you get, you get commentary like during the game, you get com- like, they'll talk about their armies beforehand. They'll talk about the game afterwards. Uh, again, not a streaming format, but if you're just looking for interesting games to watch, that's definitely an alternative is, and again, there's lots of people that, uh, put up, uh, really nicely done, uh, video battle reports. As far as streaming, yeah, there's also just the matter of, as much as we love the idea of an Iron Ocho, uh, there's the, the material cost that, you know, camera rigs are not cheap. You have to have two computers mm-hmm. dedicated to the streaming. You have to have enough uh, bandwidth to successfully uh, output high, you know, high def video from both of them simultaneously. You have to have space to set up two streaming tables. Because, like at yeah. Iron Halo on On the Rock, the streaming table is up on stage. It is a separate area from everything else. And you would have to set up a second streaming area. Plus, they have a common, they have like an on-site commentators table there, and then they were shoutcasting in other commentators. So they usually have, they would have like three or four people discussing the game, two of them on site. So then, to do that, you would have to then also have a double second, all that. You have to double all that. That gets pretty, you know, that can add up really fast as far as time, space, resources. Mm-hmm. So what I might suggest for, since if that's not in the cards, which it might be, but it'd be like down the road future for a lot of people. Yeah. Make game one, since you don't know, you normally want to put the top people later on, but make game one your fun game. Always just tournament game one, find two interesting people you want to see. Yeah. And have them be the first game to kick it off and then go for your top players and the others. Honestly, I would say day one because day one is where everything kind of shakes out and settles into where it's going to be. Like day two, have your top table. Totally, totally. Your your two or three games on day two, top table. Absolutely. Day one, I would say just look up in interesting matchups. Maybe do kind of an invitational streaming thing. So like first round you had this this game which was kind of a uh, a very friendly grudge match of sorts i could see maybe having one of the sacco games on st- on a <laughs> on stream for day one just like yeah. hey this is because again you're playing up this rivalry between like here are two players who have been trading like just doing friendly trash talking over the last like seven eight months and okay, now here they are. Let's let's have them play out this game. And you could do like day one is your your interest. You're just amusing. These are cool streams. Day two, that's your hardcore competitive stream. And it doesn't yeah. mean like you couldn't have like a hardcore hardcore competitive match day one. Maybe invitational. You have oh hey, this is an interesting matchup. You guys want like we done pairings. Here's an interesting matchup. You guys want to be on stream. Or if it just so happened like uh, Ben versus Matt. Yeah, like <laughs> or, yeah. was in round two. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, ooh. it's like maybe yeah. It's here's two players from the same team or the uh, well, it would have been a very short game, but the uh, the Dave versus John Renegade game where it's like no, no, that was not a happy game. It was also way too short. Yeah, you did you uh, listen to the podcast on that no, one? Kevin? I, I have not yet. Okay, so game three on uh, game three at Iron Halo, John Champ. And Dave Armand 
played each other. Who? Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> and they ended up playing on the table that they had brought. They like played oh, on that's... the Renegade table. That just randomly. They ended up on the Renegade table, two the two guys from Renegade playing each other. And turn one, Dave unloaded his entire like entire army's firepower onto John. John would like Dave was playing knights and uh, guard. John was playing Mechanicus. Dave managed to kill two Cataphron Breachers. Not two units of them. Two. And then John promptly brought one of them back with a stratagem and then proceeded to wipe out like 500 points of Dave's army on turn one. So it was close is what you're getting at. (laughs) Well, and then... Top of two, Dave did more firepower, like unloaded whatever he had left, killed two Cataphron Breachers again, <laughs> and then just decided, okay, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> and just because and they said, like, uh, afterwards, and, and you can listen to the commentary on the show, they're like, yeah, this wasn't a fun game for either of us because it was uh, so, it, it was like, it was like so one sided on the dice, it was just not yeah. fun. And so they just, they called it. Yeah. Well, like, I do think that there needs to be more variety in, like, the streaming stuff, the type of games that are out there. And, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest. The reason why I did commentary on that one is that was kind of like I kept bugging Jason, you know, for weeks leading up to that to get that game on stream, uh, you know, because I wanted I wanted to showcase other matches. And, like, if we can set Midwest Conquest up, where we get streaming there next year, which hopefully we will. Uh, I would love to like have one of the friendly games on stream and, you know, maybe potentially set up if we have, you know, the 30 K or something like that, have one of those games on stream. That way we are showing off the variety of events that come up with these tournaments. Um, and it's not just, you know, the same five or six players, you know, that you see at all the competitive events. Yeah. And nothing against the, the high end players, but it does get, you know, it's the, the same gang of people cause they're, they're consistently good. Yeah. Well, and and I and I also understand why streaming things on Twitch has mo- you know a competitive audience. So people that are interested in watching that are interested in seeing Matt Root play. They're interested in watching Ben Sherwin play. They're interested in seeing those high level players and what their lists are, what their strategies are, and and things like that. And that's good for the game. But that's also not the only way that people play and it shouldn't be the only representation of the game uh you know in that medium because quite frankly we you know in one of the the chats uh i think uh jason was was joking with this like was we were getting ready for the the shout casting he joked that day two is uh should just be named a subtitle to catch a cheater because that's yeah. one of the other things if you only show the competitive games you see all of that that sometimes ugliness that comes out of somebody's you know nudging models or you know has an incorrect list or things like that and it's you know until we find a way to deal with that larger problem that's going to come up on the streams and i think the best way to kind of i mean maybe the best way is to show all those games and root it out publicly but uh well and i yeah i think that kind of falls into the sunlight's the best disinfectant yeah or you know or the 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 way to avoid the hobby having kind of that that stigma is to just show more games, show people having fun. Like, for example, if I had, you know, let's say everything falls in place and we get streaming at Midwest Conquest. If Alex comes, 
I absolutely want to put Alex on the stream because he has beautifully painted army. Let's get him on the stream. Let's showcase it. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And yeah, we, and that's kind of like you l- l- think about the, uh, when, uh, GW streams games, that's kind of the, yeah. uh, the, their tack on it is they, they tend to take like, neat you know narratively interesting armies or these are really cool armies or these are armies using the new hotness of like we just mm-hmm. released this stuff so let's show people what it does on the tabletop although maybe not how far it can go on the tabletop because then you need to bring in like really high-end players to play it but and, and i will well, say watching a couple of the gw streams i mean they might have gotten better but I've seen them mess up their own rules on stream. Before. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> oh yeah. But yeah. then again, I know yes. Nate and I messed up some rules too because we're middle of the road people. <laughs> oh yeah, you're middle of the road pe- people and definitely not middle of the road players. Oh, thank you. <laughs> harsh, harsh. <laughs> All right, let's move on uh, to next letter is from Jason Sharp, and Jason writes, "Hi PE, you answered my last email a couple of months ago about my Warhammer School Club." The group got a kick out of listening to your advice about what they should focus on as new players and as a new gaming group. Thank you. We now have the following armies. Tau, Ultramarines, Guard, Crimson Fists, Tyranids, Death Watch, Death Guard, Orcs, Admech, and Space Wolves. Now my question, as the Psychic Awakening kicks off and the 40k narrative advances which we'll be talking more about that later. Uh, what book should I read and recommend to my group? Some of my group are heavy readers and would love to get their hands on some great stories about this new universe they're diving into. From Jason, a.k.a. Mr. Sharp. Well, first of all, Jason, awesome to hear that your your group has not just, you know, embraced the game, but they've diverse, you know, they've got a very nice diverse set of armies there, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. I see no Eldar armies. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason for that. I mean, hey. huh? <laughs> well, also, most of your army is still not in plastic. That I mean, is very true. It's getting anybody better. In his, anybody in his group that wants to play like Yanari, there's a new box set coming out. Yeah, just scrape up $230. You can do that on a middle school salary, right? I mean, I was able to do that in middle school. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, go on. I think you might be on the wrong podcast. You might enter in a, uh, a audition to independent characters, care of Carl Tuttle. <laughs> so for, for the reading, I know, Rob, you've read more of the novels. That yes. might be a good place to get started. For yeah, some of that. so um, Black Library, which is the uh, f- fiction publishing arm of Games Workshop, uh, puts out a wide variety of novels by uh, they've got an ever increasing stable of authors that they have. Uh, There, however, are some staples that you can always come back to that are really good. Uh, Dan Abnett is always fantastic. Uh, Aaron Dembski Bowden is always very solid. In fact, some of my favorite 40 K books are Aaron Dembski Bowden stuff. Uh, his uh, series on the, the his Night Lord's Omnibus, uh, that series, uh, which is available, I think, as one collected book now, but they also have it as three separate books, is fantastic. If you now, granted, you don't you have one Death Guard player, so you don't have a lot of chaos. But if you like well written villains that manage to be chaos without being like cartoonishly ridiculous, like evil, like over the top evil characters, um, it's a really good read. Um, some of the horse heresy. If you want the background on the 40k universe, the horse heresy series has a hojillion novels in it. I think they have just finally wrapped up the horse heresy series and now they are actually 
going to the Siege of Terra, which is its own multi-book series. Uh, but uh, the Horse Heresy series has uh, a whole bunch of different authors. Again, Abnett's in there. Um, uh, Aaron Densky Bowden. In fact, uh, the uh, like Betrayer and uh, the First Heretic. Believe that's those are both really good. Um, the first like three books are real Horse Rising, fa- uh, False Gods, Galaxy and Flames are all really good. Uh, Flight of the Eisenstein, which is about loyalist Death Guard, is a really good read. Uh, that one I believe is James Swallow, who also writes some really good Sisters of Battle books. Um, yeah, it's like uh, John French uh, writes really good. Uh, books especially about Armon. he's got a series that he's been doing there oh and aaron densky bowden also has a series about abaddon the uh talent a uh, black legion and uh talent talent of horse and black legion are really really good books i've read re- read those um if you prefer reading about the inquisition again dan abnett has the ravener tri- the uh eisen eisenhorn trilogy and the ravener trilogy which one is a sequel to the other uh, and also the Gaunt's Ghost for your guard player. The Gaunt's Ghost series is, is like a dozen or more books by Dan Abnett mm-hmm. and is really, really good. And I've managed to pick up the first like four or five at half price books. So, um, if you can't find them, uh, or if you're on a tight budget, half price books generally has a pretty good selection of, uh, the horse heresy stuff, especially, but also a lot of older GW books. Um, but uh those are all really good and there's something out there like you can search on the black uh on the black library site and like find the novels that are like for your faction um some mm-hmm. d- like space marines and guard tend to get more coverage than the others but there are books for admec for example there are books for um there there are a few books about orcs usually books ag- about fighting against the orcs um, the Space Marines Battle Series has some really good ones. Uh, their book on Ren's World, which is Crimson Fists versus Orcs, is really good. Uh, if you want a kind of a a desperate war story or uh, um, Armageddon, which is the uh, uh, Black Templars against Orcs, that one is really good. Um, and I, I've read both of those. They're fantastic. And the Armageddon one, by the way, is more Aaron Dembski Bowden. So I... Aaron Bowden's really solid. I mean, you cannot yeah. go, you can't go wrong. Like him and Abnett, you cannot go wrong with. Uh, but like, look for you know, look on the Black Library website, find the novels uh, there. Uh, oh, also, if uh, your kids are more visual than uh, prose readers, Marvel has uh, Marvel and Games Workshop just announced that Marvel is going to take over putting out forty k comic books next year. So like yeah. starting, I think next August is they're going to start rolling those out, which there have been 40 K comic books before. In fact, they, they finished up a, a number of mini series in the last year or so. And I don't remember who published those. I have like all of them, but they, but Marvel is actually going to be putting them out and GW is very, very happy about that partnership. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'd say too, is uh, there's also a ton of audiobooks. And audio like dramas uh, that are that are also available on Black Library. If you have kids that, you know, I mean, obviously you want to try to get them reading more. But uh, if you have some people that you know that are more comfortable listening to like the audiobooks or things like that, uh, those there's plenty of those 
uh, audiobooks and also like original audio dramas. Yes, and the, they're all the production quality is very good. Like the the production mm-hmm. values on those are very very good. And uh, yeah, I've got a couple of them, and they're 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 just very very well done. I, yeah, they're they're a lot of fun. They're good. They're good listens. And uh, for younger audiences, they do have like the Warhammer Adventures line, which they have those for both Age of Sigmar and uh, 40k, uh, which kind of a, a tween age, I guess, would be the audience for those, like eight to twelve. Because yeah. like the main characters are about that age, and it's kind of interesting. Because like, how do you drop kids into a grim dark universe where they're like facing off against like Necrons and Tau and things like that, and uh, you know, seeing it kind of from a civilian's eye view without being so grim dark that it's soul crushing, like most of the 40k universes. <laughs> and apparently, like from what I understand, kid, you know, there there was a lot of uproar when the books came out because people were like, oh, you're you're like cheapening you're cheapening the uh the grim dark storyline and it's going to be like you're going to kidify it and it's like no they're just taking looking at it from a different point of view but it's still the same universe and it doesn't lessen the the other books or you know the other material also if that they have uh, audio versions of those and the 40k ones are read by uh, david Tennant. So yep, that was, uh, I was going to point that out too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, very good talent reading those. They, they made, they, uh, made sure to bring in the, the big guns for that one. So, but you know, again, that's, that's more for your, your younger audiences, but, uh, uh, but just do keep in mind the standard 40 K novels, even when you win it, like the good guys win, but it's a, it's almost always like a Pyrrhic victory. Like nobody comes out yeah. of that really on top unscathed. <laughs> kind of just like in the tabletop game yeah, well yeah yeah just just kind yeah. of be warned like they are i i wouldn't say they are gratuitous but they are violent you know they are people you know people get shot and wounded in all sorts of terrible ways people get blown to bits because it's war with high-powered weapons so um they don't shy away from that so uh especially in a number of the books like don't get attached to characters <laughs> Yeah, because they're going to die, <laughs> or you know, and it'll usually be in like glorious last stands kind of thing. People don't just generally die randomly. It's not you know George R. R. Martin, but <laughs> but you know that they, they tend to you know they they tend to go down fighting, but they do die. So just yeah. be be aware, you know that make sure make sure your kids can handle that. But if I imagine if they're playing forty k, they probably can, but. You know, it's it's just one of those things to to be aware of going into it that the the authors do not shy yes. away from it. Otherwise, for lore, like the codexes have a have a decent amount of lore for particular factions. The uh, campaign books have some. Yeah, and I think Psychic Awakening, which we'll get into more, will have a little, but I think you'd have to like read it over all twelve months to put it all together. And and I have a feeling. It, and again, we'll talk about this more. I don't know if it's going to come across as one cohesive story or a whole bunch of like little vignettes going on at the same time. All right, next up, a letter from Clay Sudrath. Clay writes, Greetings per frenel me's, frenel per me's, nemies per friends. I think all the good permutations have been used. Uh, in listening to episode 201, I wanted to add some thoughts on superglue and plastic cement. I use both tactically. 
I use plastic cement for the core of models that I want to be strong. Legs to bodies, for example. Accessories, arms, and especially weapons, I've switched to super glue because this allows reconfiguration down the road when needed. This is especially important when building special or heavy weapons, as we all know what is good will rise and fall with a meta shift, fac, or codex release. I would also recommend you all give a particular super glue a try. Bob Smith Industries Super Glue has replaced Loctite Professional for all my hobby needs. It's usually found in hobby shops that support model building. They have many different thicknesses and dry speed. I personally like the Maxi Cure Blend, which is a bit thicker than the very liquidy Loctite Professional, but not a gel. And lastly, I'd like to recommend against Super Glue Accelerator except for emergency repairs. In my experience, the accelerator makes the bond more brittle. So what did I do in my days of plastic and metal models? I pinned everything. Yes, it's a huge time sink, but my original kit-bashed winged hive tyrant has never broken despite many dubious transport methods. If he was that durable on the tabletop, he'd have to be T9. <laughs> Which, uh, I will bring that up. That is always a concern with Super Glue Accelerator is it does bond faster. It will not yep. bond as well. <laughs> yes. Um, and I understand the wanting to, like, using Super Glue to make bonds easier to pop off when uh like if you need to replace a part not so much repair but swap do a swap it's definitely th- you know it it's definitely feasible you can't do it if you do plastic cement but that said that also create i'm always a little bit dubious on that because that also creates weak points that tend to break if a model gets dropped yeah but you know that so just pin everything just pin everything, <laughs> and yeah, it's, on smaller models it gets harder to do because the pin the pin surfaces get tiny. So you're tiny. saying that it's not a good idea to try and pin those demonets arms back in. Uh, well, since the, the arms are as thin as the pins, the thins are yeah. The <laughs> arms are, are unless you're using very 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 thin pins, and a lot of times those older ones like it's not just a flat. It's kind of a, on a little bit of a socket, so it's kind of quasi pinned a little bit anyway but uh that's interesting the glue brand uh, bob's i've heard i think i've heard the name bob smith industries so uh a replacement for loctite professional though that's a bold Hmm. claim so yeah have to try that one anyway he continues writing I'd also like to add some thoughts about the Legends rules. Firstly, I'd like to say I'm a fan of this. I'm okay with seeing some things go to narrative play only for the sake of game balance. We need more friendly tournaments. Amen. And Legends rules instantly makes them more special if your hardcore competitive events don't allow Legends and friendly events do. At the risk of an unpopular opinion, I'd be okay with them releasing narrative-only rules for specific new character models from time to time. Give us something fluffy and weird and broken and fun without any concern for balance and match play and let the match play rules be counts as X without the weirdness. What I'd like to see added is more options for models that they do make, even if it's not in the kit. Intercessor Sergeants can take Thunderhammers, for example, and I don't think there's a single Primaris kit that has a Thunderhammer in it. That has been fixed now with Space or with, uh, with uh, the new <laughs> Space Marines uh, Salamanders upgrade kit, so... It's still, it's a thing that you can do now. Uh, in, I see this as a way to grow engagement in the model building aspects of a hobby and give us more ways to customize our toys. Continuing to use Marines as an example, the captain in Gravis armor has no options at all. He currently only exists as a monopose kit in the Dark Imperium box. His default war gear setup should be how the model comes equipped so that a new player can use him out of the box with no confusion. 
but why can I not give him a power fist or a thunder hammer? Encouraging converting models, even in simple ways as a weapon swap, makes those monopose models look a lot less samey. Another example, look at how many people reworked the new Typhus to be holding a guardsman in his outstretched hand, which I've seen some conversion of that, and it does look really good. Mm-hmm. I can see a, a product release to help with this. Imagine if you could buy a box for your army with several sprues of extra bits, almost like the conversion sets that they've been releasing. I'm sorry, not not to be a jerk. Uh, weapons need not attached to hands. Hands designed to swap in and hold whatever you need. Arms and legs and new poses, heads, decorative bits. You get the idea. Obviously, this won't help some armies. Tyranids and Necrons, for example, don't have sergeant equivalents in most of their armies, but that's okay. Different armies represent different hobby opportunities. My main armies are Tyranids and a custom chapter of Marines. I've done some things to make my bugs unique, but what drew me to Marines was the seemingly endless opportunities to customize and make a character truly custom through their look and gear. The lack of opportunity for that kind of customization on some Primaris units left me feeling less than excited, and I'm super happy to see a few things moving back towards more options. I'd like to close by saying thanks for reading my rambling. I tried to keep it coherent, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on my ideas. Clay Sudrath, Hive Mind of Hive Fleet Lazarus, Chapter Master of the Raging Panthers. Well, thank you, Clay. And yeah, I think you did a good job at keeping it uh, all coherent. Um, So they are releasing some uh, bits for... So like, for example, we now have a Primaris Power Fist. We now have a Primaris Thunder Hammer. They are kind of faction specific but you could work with those it it is kind of kind of weird that they have options that aren't in the box but they are kind of there for particular sub factions but you have to buy the sub faction conversion kit to get them well the big thing for me is that at least they have the options in the codex now so like you can take thunder hammers you can update you know chainsword power fist because while they don't look exactly the same and maybe the power fist is the one that's harder. Some of these, like you can still use the previous Marine, like thunder hammers and like, you know, cut it off at the hand at the wrist and glue it on to the other wrist and still make it work. So I, I, I'm just glad that they're giving us the options and, and slowly rolling out the bits. But right now that you, now that you you have the option to give those to, to certain characters, I'm not as concerned about having the, the specific bits because there's plenty that you can still convert from in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to his point, like, yeah, it, it is kind of disappointing that some of the character models, like, especially like captains and such don't have, mm-hmm. like, it's weird that the sergeants can take some of these options, but the captains don't. And I understand GW is really trying to lean hard on the, we want to only support units in the codex that we have models and options for. They strangely enough, they're kind of getting away from like, they still want to encourage conversions, but they don't, they only want them to like be cosmetic conversions rather than functional conversions. If that makes sense. Yeah. Where it's like, we're not going to give you options to take things that we don't sell, but we'll let you, take the options that we do sell and then like like do head swaps and and body rearrangements and things like that but we're not going to give you weapon options that we're not going to put on the kit which on one hand does make it easier to kind of i guess balance that because you don't have as many possible combinations to deal with but it does limit things a little bit and it does make like the older like units like tactical marines where you've got a ton of options 
definitely feel, you know, feel like a very different design mentality than like the newer Primaris stuff. And, you know, the Primaris mm-hmm. stuff is getting better, but it is still tends to be very monopose, monofunction kits. And it's a little disappointing. They, it's like they've gotten really good at, at interesting and dynamic poses, but at the trade off of getting rid of a lot of options, it feels like. Oh, that's fair. But I, now I also like his idea of releasing some narrative only like characters. Like this character, like these rules are not meant for match play. And yeah, sales of that character probably won't be nearly, might not be nearly as high. I don't know. I've never really quite gotten a clear sense of how much of the purchasing market, like what percentage of the, of the GW market is like dedicated tournament players like dedicated match play players i know a lot of play people mm-hmm. play match play just for like pickup games because it's it's kind of easier to balance but i'm curious how like if a character was narrative only how would it impact sales yeah that would be an interesting question because i mean obviously you're right it would be less because you're buying a, a model that has less utility uh but at the same time like how many people went out and bought you know what's the what's the market on people buying out special named characters to begin with and would it be would it be significantly less for not having that option cuz you know quite frankly some of the named characters that have been released aren't really competitive anyway so some people are just buying them because oh that's a cool model and I can proxy it for something else or I can just have you know I want to paint it up and have it in my collection or- i think it'd be an interesting experiment Another thought with that, because if they just released a narrative only, I, I I think you're right. It won't sell as well unless it was just a really cool looking model. But what if it's a dual purpose model? What if it was like a Blackstone Fortress model that had narrative only rules for 40K? Right. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think that would be fun. And that's kind of what they've done where like the Blackstone Fortress models, they have, they do have rules for 40K. They also have rules for like, for using them in kill teams. So like I think one one of the units that's in the new expansion for for Blackstone Fortress is a a specific group of chaos cultists. Mm-hmm. And which I think you can now buy separately from that box, but uh they have since like in White Dwarf they've released kill team rules for like everybody in that box including that unit of cultists. So like if you want to play that unit as a kill team, you can and so here, you know, here are the rules for doing it. So yeah, dual purpose characters, dual purpose models where, yeah, it's, here's a unit that is meant for this game primarily, but we've also put in some like non-match play rules for it for 40k just for fun. Um, especially if you could work it into like, like here's a narrative campaign where that character is critical, but he's not a match play character. Maybe like Eisenhorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Eisenhorn's a per like you can run Eisenhorn in 40k. I don't know if I've seen too many competitive lists that run Eisenhorn. I can't think of one that would want to. Yeah, or run any Inquisition at all. But yeah, so yeah, it's it, I th- I think it's it's not it's not a bad idea, and I'd I'd really they do support narrative play in like their campaign books, but I'd really like to see GW put even more of a focus on on alternate ways to play beyond just standard competitive match play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand that is like th- that's the 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 probably the most 
visible part of their community, the the one, you know, kind of the biggest loudest, but not necessarily the biggest by percentage. So yeah, I'm curious how how a narrative only or yeah, you could have stuff that just goes straight to legends. And I also like Clay's idea of like characters that this like if you play them narrative, you get this profile, but otherwise they just count as this. Mm-hmm. Like here's the generic version of it. You can't use you can use this one in match play. You can't use the named version in match. Well, play. and that's actually a, an interesting way to do like the mono pose like captains and stuff. So for example, the I, I've got the right here on my shelf. I've got the uh, starter box captain in Gravis armor with like the bolt gauntlet and a power sword. You could easily release rules profile that makes him you know. So and so, you know, captain of the, you know, Raven Guard or whatever, and give narrative rules. But also, this is your model for a captain in Gravis armor with a power sword. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you, you could easily do stuff like that. I think. And going along those lines, that that might be a good idea for if you had a campaign book that you had a special character for it, and the special character had mul- rules for the missions in that book. Because mm-hmm. I remember in the Anden book. They had some named characters. They said, "Yo, just use a shadow seer, and that's actually this named character. Here's the rules for her uh-huh. that you only used in that narrative mission, and that would be a way of like kind of having, I guess, narrative only rules for characters." Yeah. Or you know, even you could even do like, "Hey, we're going to revise the let's say let's go with that Captain Gravis armor again. Like, we're going to revise the Captain of Gravis armor data sheet that has." A different set of options. And so now the data sheet says you can either have the bolt storm gauntlet and power sword, or you can have this like flame storm gauntlet and a thunder hammer. And he's now a, like a special sa- salamander's character, but only in like this, we're releasing this narrative book and you can play him as that in this. But otherwise, he's just an alternate build for the Gravis armor. Yeah. And that would be fine. That would be a, I think that'd be a cool way. Yeah, it'd be a cool way to do it. All right, and our final letter from Jeremy Hagen. Jeremy writes, Hello, preferred enemies. Still loving the show, and I can't wait for each episode. Thank you, Jeremy. I keep hearing that Iron Hands are going to be crazy durable, but how durable are they? How does their durability compare to some of the other durable armies out there, like Necrons, Death Guard, and Nurgle Demons? Thanks, Jeremy from South Dakota. So, I was thinking about this on my drive home. Uh, because there's been a lot of coverage about Iron Hands as of late. As of recording time, uh, we just had, I think, Michigan GT and Battle for Salvation this past weekend. Iron Hands, I believe, won both of those, along with like three or four other GTs in the last week, couple of weeks. <laughs> um, Iron Hands are a little bit of a problem right now, and... Uh, strangely enough, their durability is, their durability is part of the issue, but it's not entirely the issue. There's more to it than that. So let's break down their durability real quick. Um, so Necron, like, we'll start with like Necrons and Death Guard and then, cause ne- Death Guard and Nurgle Demon's kind of in the same boat. So, uh, we'll stick with Death Guard. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's good to contrast these because these are all like toughness for like ne- Necron and Death Guard are roughly like t- T4, T5 kind of marine equivalent armies. So they're, they're a nice comparison. Necron survivability is from the fact that you have to wipe out entire units because if you don't, if you leave even one model left, they have like ha- like a third of them will get back up if they've got the right character and the right relics and such with them. 
half, like half of them will get back up each turn. So you have to kill all of them. If you don't, then you will have killed effectively none of them and you'll have wasted your turn of shooting. Death Guard durability comes from the combination of Marines, you know, Marine armor save, uh, five up feel no pain and five toughness in general. So you will have a harder time getting wounds on them. The wounds will also not stick as much. So, um, they're, they're very tough to shift off of things because they're very just tough to kill in the first place. Whereas neck, like Necrons will come back. Death Guard are just hard to put down. Iron Hand's durability does not come from getting back up, and it does not come from the fact that, yes, they have a six-up feel-no-pain. Six-up feel-no-pain is kind of crap. It's, it. I mean, it's a nice to have. It's definitely not a bad thing to have, but as somebody mm-hmm. who has used Strength from Stone uh, a lot with his Ethereal and my, like, Townar and such, yeah, I get a, a, a like a six inch bubble of six up feel no pain. I can probably can't in any given game. I can probably count on one hand and probably still have a finger or two left. The number of times that that's made any sort of remote difference. Like the things that are going to be taking a lot of damage, the wounds I slough off, yeah, you know, they shake off with a six up feel no pain. I've probably taken enough damage from other sources that it really doesn't matter. So the six up feel no pain kind of a trap. Don't think it's a big deal. The vehicle's not degrading until they've taken twice as many wounds as normal. That is really solid. And while it doesn't give them survivability in the sense of it makes the vehicle last longer, it makes the vehicle's effectiveness last longer. It is hard to cripple an Iron Hands army. They will take a until they're down to like three wounds or so left on something, maybe even le- maybe two, they're not going to behave any differently than they did at full. So yeah, that, I mean, that's, and that obviously they're not the first army to have that. Eandon has that. Uh, Hawk, uh, Hawk Shroud Knights have that. It's very useful. I love it on my, on Hawk Shroud Knights. Uh, it's very good on Iron Hands vehicles. Cause that's really, you know, again, so, like, your bigger vehicles, your repulsors, or but also your flyers and things like that. So, you've got full uh, ballistic skill, full movement capability for most of the game. They also have access to space marine stratagems, such as things like uh, transhuman physiology, which means uh, you pick a non-vehicle unit when it's targeted in a, in a phase. And until the end of the phase, they only take wounds on a four-up. So... They they become hard to wound, or there's a stratagem for uh, dreadnoughts that when you target a dreadnought in a phase, until the end of the phase, the dreadnought takes half damage. So you can basically just make them ignore a lot of damage just by not taking it in the first place. Iron Hands also have access to a relic called the Iron Stone that if a, a vehicle is within three inches of the bearer of the Iron Stone... The vehicle take anytime the vehicle takes damage, it takes one less damage to a minimum of one. So suddenly your your multi wound shots are less and less effective against them. It's a whole bunch of layered stuff that makes them more resilient, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. I don't know if I would say it makes them crazy durable, but they do tend to take a lot of like high wound, or they can take a lot of high wound units. But we're starting to see a variety of well, builds. It, it, 
Yeah, it makes their tougher, bigger, heavy, hitty, heavy, uh, heavy hitter units. It makes them very durable. Like their stock, you know, lock stock uh, Primaris or you know, tactical Marines. Yeah, they're not much more resilient. But as a Space Marine player, you're not winning games with your with your troops. You're winning them with your Leviathan Dreadnoughts or your Repulsors or your Predators uh, or your Centurions. Um, and and they uh, Iron Hands stack a lot of things that make those specific units that got much better in the Codex make them even better. Yeah. Now, here's the other component, because sometimes durability is not in what you can take, but what you can keep your opponent from doing to you. So if you're unaware, uh, Space Marines have access to Doctrines. We talked about this a bit more in our Cursed episode. We'll have to come back to that, especially now that we're starting to see yeah. tournament results come in. And Space Marines are very strong right now. Yes. Uh, but uh, the Doctrines, basically, if your entire army is Space Marines and has the uh, combat the combat Doctrines ability, then... Uh, they basically have three modes of play. They start out in Devastator uh, Doctrine. They can then switch to which uh, they can switch later to Tactical Doctrine, and then from there they can switch into Assault Doctrine. When you're in a particular Doctrine, weapons of a certain type have better AP. So if you're in Devastator Doctrine, your heavy weapons and grenade weapons are one AP better. In Tactical, your Tactical or your Rapid Fire and Assault ones are better, and in uh, assault, melee, and pistol are better. You start out in Devastator Doctrine. So get round one, your heavy weapons and your grenade weapons, but primarily heavy is what matters. Your heavy weapons are one AP better, which is fantastic. When they added the supplements, each sub, each chapter has a special rule that they get. Like if you are a uh, Iron Hands or Iron Hands successor chapter... You get the following, which is called Calculated Fury. Whilst the Devastator Doctrine is active, models with this ability do not suffer the penalty for moving and firing heavy weapons. So first off, everything has power of the machine spirit. And remember, your heavy weapons are already doing better. In addition, whilst the Devastator Doctrine is active, when resolving an attack made with a heavy weapon by a model with this ability, reroll hit rolls of one. So, at out the gate, your army can move and fire heavy weapons without penalty, which is fantastic for vehicles, and you reroll ones to hit. You're hitting on threes most of the time anyway, and your vehicles don't degrade until they're nearly dead, so that ballistic skill's not dropping, so they're always hitting on threes. There's no mm-hmm. reason to ever change out of Devastator Doctrine, and you can easily lo- like front-load your army with as many heavy weapons as you can, and just dominate your opponent and if you can just kill a whole bunch of stuff then your opponent's ability to wound you has gone away considerably uh and at first it was looking like oh it's going to be like all repulsor executioners and leviathan dreads and that those were doing pretty well and now we're seeing more variety like one uh one of the ones that i think battle of salvation this past weekend I was running two flyer wings, one of all storm talons and one all of storm hawk interceptors. All of those are loaded heavily with heavy weapons, so, but they also always have to move. So they were always at minus one to hit, except now they're not. Mm-hmm. And they're all heavy, so all their weapons are that much better. 
and they're re-rolling one, so they're that much better. Everything you give them is just fantastic. You want to give them Centurions and mount the Centurions and Land Raiders or something? You can totally do that, and they're going to be super effective. So that's where Iron Hands is getting really strong right now. So just some numbers, because I was kind of scrolling through the competitive 40K uh, Facebook page, and somebody had tallied up the weekend stats. So this is just this past weekend for competitive 40K. There were 20 total events last weekend with three or more rounds that had at least one Iron Hands player. Iron Hands players in those tournaments, in just those 20, 12 wins, three second place finishes, two fourth place finishes. There was only three total events that didn't have an Iron Hands player in the top four. The combined record, win-loss record, for all the Iron Hands players was 164 and 52, and 15 of those losses came to other Iron Hands players. <laughs> wow. Uh, there's a balance problem. <laughs> yeah. Now, some of it is – and this is the kind of issue it's like – it's not like, oh, they've got this one trick, and if you can figure out how to play around the trick, you know, you can beat them. This is just yeah. what their army does. And then on top of that, you add in all the other parts of their just chapter tactics, which is they've got the six up feel no pain. They overwatch on a five. So they've got like the best part of Tau. They have the mm-hmm. best part of Eandon and they have a six up feel no pain. And then they get everything else that we've just mentioned. That's way too much going for them. Yeah. It is. It just, and, as evidenced by yeah. by some of the builds, it's not like it's one army build that is really solid. And if you can figure out what to take out in that army, you can fight your way past it. It's just, no, they're just that good. And they have lots of possible builds and tools available and can they can do pretty much anything. And they're going to be great at it. So it, it's not just crazy durability. It's just crazy good abilities. So... Uh, if you're looking to play Iron Hands, um, they're really, really strong right now. Uh, expect a, I, I don't know if we can expect a, uh, a full nerf batting because this is definitely too close to the print cycle for chapter approved to be addressed in that book. So and I, I do fully expect that the meta will kind of come around and people will start counter building lists that work that counter specifically what they do well. And it'll it'll hit some sort of stasis, but yeah, right now they're very good. And this is we had the problem, you know, earlier in the year with the Knight Codex, where you saw Knight Castellans in every list because they were that good. This is approaching that same level, and something will have to be done from GW to to rebalance it. But it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of amazing that they gave them such a big buff, <laughs> right? And like none of the other ones are have proven to be this powerful i mean a, a number of I mean, like, space marines are good space marines are good and well i'm thinking along the lines of like raven guard and ultramarines i think key off of tactical doctrine uh white scars i believe key off of assault doctrine so mm-hmm. they have useful abilities but they don't they can't kick in until turn two turn three these like again if if devastator doctrine wasn't in effect turn one this they'd be good, but they wouldn't be this good. But because you, yeah. you you start the game in Devastator Doctrine, it's kind of a problem when you have 
It, it, if it had been one of those two abilities, if it had been you can move and shoot, that'd be good. It'd give you some flexibility. Or if they had, okay, yeah, you can reroll ones, but you're going to take a penalty if you move, which means you won't be rerolling the twos because they would, like, you wouldn't, like, anything that would hit, you know, because of the way the modifiers work. It's like it would cut down, like, on the flexibility. But here it's just like, no, you have no penalty when you move and you reroll ones and your ballistic skills three anyway. Oh, and your main character can turn uh, that ballistic skill to two. Oh, and also you can heal vehicles for three wounds apiece at each turn. It's like there's just way too many layers of good there. And there's no one, like, you're going to have to take something away to kind of bring that back. But who knows how soon they'll do that. Or we might be in for four to five months of uh, Iron Hand's dominance until people, yeah, until either a meta shakes out and people figure figure out what the new hotness is or until a new campaign book comes out that suddenly makes something just completely awesome and overpower the iron hands abilities. Yep. So, so there you go, Jeremy, it's not just what they can take, but it's what they can dish out and keep you from doing to them. So, uh, yeah, iron hands really, really good right now. And if you have a letter you would like to have read on the air, there's three good ways to do that. Uh, one is email us. Our email addresses are ourfirstnames at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at, Kevin at, Dennis at, Richard at preferredenemies.com. Uh, second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferredenemies. And uh, you can like us there, follow us, and message us uh, there. Uh, then there's also Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferredenemy, singular. Uh, and you can contact us on any or all of those uh, methods, and then we take all our letters, put them together, drop them in the hopper, and try to get through as many as we can in a reasonable amount of time in each episode. Uh, also, we do have a Patreon. Uh, it is patreon.com slash preferred enemies. And if you want to help support the show, uh, help us keep our equipment up to date and help us with travel costs to go to various events uh, so we can cover those events live and uh, get your feedback from what's going on in the competitive and or friendly scenes at uh, various places around the Midwest. Uh, you can do that. It's basically an online tip jar. We don't lock any of our shows behind a paywall, though we do try to make fluff or we do try to make uh, uh, swag available when we can. Uh, but uh, yeah, no obligation to give. Uh, and, you know, even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put together a dollar or if enough people put in a dollar, it all adds up and is very helpful. And in fact, you cover our, costs for hosting you've paid for new equipment and uh you're helping defray our costs to go to you def help defray our costs to go to iron halo you're helping defray our costs to go to uh renegade open where three of us will be there this year again uh so just going to show you that is where the money that you put into the show goes it goes directly to paying for us to be able to do the things that we then talk about on the show but doesn't go into like our pockets to buy models or anything like that is just for specifically for show functions if you have any questions about where the money goes we're completely transparent on that if you want to know you know do not hesitate to ask uh so uh but yeah uh, preferredenemies.com or patreon.com slash preferred enemies if you want to help uh you know, throw into the tip jar. So we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our main topic, which is our look at the brand new, uh, out the, uh, probably the day this goes live, uh, Phoenix, uh, psychic awakening, Phoenix rising. See you in a bit. 
Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from Game Mat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time to dig into our main topic, which is our look at Psychic Awakening, uh, Phoenix Rising. So uh, this is this brand new book. It's a surprisingly slim tome. It's only about 80 pages. Yeah. Like lighter codex sized. The supplement size. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's codex supplement. It, it feels like a supplement. Yeah. And it basically tells what has been going on kind of with the Eldari, more or less since the Great Rift opened. Yeah, and I mean, first off, we're, we're thinking about this whole 12-month narrative arc that they said is going to touch every faction. And in this one, it is definitely the Eldari. Um, you get stories and things about what's going on with a bunch of the different craft worlds. A bunch of them. So like every craft world, here's what's been going on since the Rift opened up. You've got information about Harlequins, the Drukhari, even the um, Yunari, or they don't have a direct thing, but they're kind of sprinkled out through everywhere because. Well, and Yvrain's kind of. I would say Yvrain is the main character in this story. Yes, yes. And I thought it was really cool, and I like seeing how all the different Eldari things were happening. But like Rob kind of hinted at before, it felt like here's just a bunch of stories and fluff that's about individual things, and they aren't as cohesive as they could have been like they were in like when the unari first appeared and oh yeah the like travel yeah like gathering storm like yeah. the 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 first like the story event that ended seventh edition and kicked off eighth that had a distinct through line of you know starting from the fall of cadia 
and working its way all the way through, you know, Bobby G returning to Terra. And it had all these great story bits. And, you know, and yes, it was introducing new stuff. It was introducing, you know, these new factions, like this new faction of Eldar. And it was introducing, like, you know, the return of, like, the return of, like, a whole bunch of, like, lost characters. Like, you know, here's Grayfax, who's been, like, in frozen in Necron Tesseract Vault jail for hundreds of years and here's celestine come back to fight and then oh, here's bobby g back and, and it's like you could roll out all this new stuff and still have an in you know a cohesive you know a to z storyline and this it like there's a narrative thread through this but it doesn't feel like event a leads to event b leads to event c it's just like here's a bunch of events and they're loosely tied together because the inari touch on all of them right I mean, and that's definitely a way to tell a narrative. And I'll say the, the positive thing is if I was interested in what's going on in Eandon, there's a whole two page, two page spread about Eandon or Ulthway. There's a two page spread about Ulthway. You get good in depth thing of each craft world, but like Rob said is other than Unari are around, it doesn't seem to be an interconnected, cohesive story. Right. So is there, is there any sense that maybe this is just setting the stage and that like, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but like you're going to get your Eldar book, which kind of catches up on the Eldar, what they've been doing the last two years, then a Tau book and, or a Xenos book. That's like, here's what the Tau and Orcs have been up to and a space Marine book. And then maybe later books will pull that narrative together. Or does this just feel more disconnected than that? I'm going to hope for that. And I could see that that could be a possibility, um, because if you pulled in each of the different like groupings of, um, not care, but factions, mm-hmm. yeah, th- each, these could all be, okay, let's get everyone caught up, caught up, caught up. And now let's have our big, like three book at the end reveal for the, like the last three months. Yeah. I could absolutely see that. Like this is, this is setting the stage for everything and kind of it, 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 it by saying it feels like a supplement, it feels almost more like. You know how, like, we talk about codex supplements where they add to, like, the, the units and the rules. And this does mm-hmm. do that. But this is also one of the first, like, a supplement feels like it's adding to the fluff section, like, the, to the timeline section. Like, he, like, we have where the timeline left off at the end of the codex. Here's the stuff that has been appended onto it that has, that has been happening. So it is, it would be disingenuous to say it's not moving the story forward as far as, like, the continuity and the timeline. And, and as Dennis points out, it does cover, all, like all, all the major craft worlds and a number of minor ones too get touched on. And there's even uh, like there's sidebars that like come from like the Imperial perspective. Like this is what happened on like this Imperial world or like there's one, I don't think it's that one, but there's one earlier, I think earlier where somebody talks about how like they were fighting and then this great like four-armed serpent. Yeah, I think it's this one. And like at the end, it's like, yeah, this great four-armed serpent with swords. And I think it was redacted, con- like transmission interrupted. <laughs> nice. And so it's like, again, h- hinting that they're going to do a Fulgrim. Like Fulgrim's going to come back because Fulgrim's always pictured as a four-armed uh, winged serpent man now with like four separate blades. So it's like, yeah, Fulgrim's probably going to be getting a model eventually. And they, I mean, he's been a player in the storyline since eighth edition hit. It's just, we've never seen him in the, mm-hmm. in the plastic as it will. 
but as it were, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it does touch on all the, all the Ford or on all the, it does touch on all the craft worlds and even like some of the minor ones It talks about how like, oh yeah, this craft world was too close to the rift and got like infected with some like weird chaos disease. That's like making the bone go weird in like the wraith bone is going weird in this one. Or I think a couple of like minor craft worlds get destroyed when the rift opens up. Uh, and then the main story, Story, the kind of the main thrust of the story is Ivrain is put together like a, a super friends hunting party trying to uh, fight uh, Shalaxi Hellbane. Actually. Well, I, I'd call it the, the other way around. She put together a super friends survival party because Shalaxi Hellbane was coming to take her head. That's true. Shalaxi Hellbane <laughs> is trying to hunt down Ivrain. Yes. And she ends up putting together a group that is her. And the Vizark, because the Vizark's always with her, and Lelith, and Janezar, and a Solitaire. I would love to have that as a Supreme Command detachment. (laughs) 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 I don't know how many points it is, but that that would be an awesome assault unit. Yeah. And they do, like, they do actually do the narrative of the, the fight that they get into, like, closer to the end of the book. But there's also a lot of storyline about how Vect has kind of reestablished order on Kimura. Although the the Inari Drukari have like carved out sections of Kimura that they now control. So there's like turf wars inside the the Dark City. And it's kind of neat to see that it even talks that the Harlequins are even divided amongst ones who want to support the Inari, others that are still saying the Necrons are the biggest threat and others that are still just like, no, the, the, the we'll got to follow our own path. So there is still a lot of division in the Eldari races, which you'd think that, Oh, Hey, we've got this one unifying force that you can bring all three to get. No, it didn't no. Unify. And I think, I think if there's a unifying theme in this book, it's that the El- like all the factions of Eldari are kind of split on which way they want to go. Like, uh, Bieltan's not too happy with the Inari because the Avatar showing up, like, shattered their craft yeah, world. Yeah, Bieltan's okay now because most of the people that were for the Inari have already left with them. True. Eandon's <laughs> uh, kind of all in because they're like, hey, they can bring our ghosts back to life. Well, they brought Uriel back to right. life, which is a big... Th- but Eandon's big issue right now is they feel small. They don't feel like they're a major craft world anymore because every time something happens, they have to get outside help. Right, and otherwise, they you know like their living population is getting overwhelmed. Well, is getting that's also why they're kind of small because they're using their wraiths all the time because they don't have much living population. Although I think it, it's interesting. One of the things they, one of the reasons they're interested in bringing in like joining forces with the Inari because the Inari also bring Drukari with them is if the Inari can bring back souls. And the Drukari have flesh-growing technology that can craft new bodies. They're like, well, maybe our dead, maybe we can beat death by basically putting our souls back into newly grown bodies. Which, technically, the Drukari know how to do, although their souls tend to be wounded and not whole. But I mean, it would be an interesting take on things if you combine the Harlequins and the Yunari and the Drukari together to do something like that. So we'll have to see how that plays out, if that plays out. 
Um, some another one of the interesting uh, side stories. It's it's not so much in a sidebar, but it's like a little insert box on one of the pages talking about one of the plans that Vect had to uh, disrupt and defeat the Inari. And the Drukari involved were not happy to be part of this plan, but uh, he basically told them what they were going to do, and they didn't really have a choice in the matter. Is he had the uh, he he had his local uh, homunculus covens flesh craft some of the uh, Drukari into human form, which they hated because they think human bodies are crude and ape like. But uh, basically, had them he crafted them to be indistinguishable from humans, and then seeded them into Imperial Guard detachments. And then, when the Inari showed up on an Imperial world and were like talking with, like, trying because the Inari and the Eldar, like the Eldar, especially the Craft World Eldar, they're still trying to do the typical Eldar thing where we're going to manipulate battle we're like we're gonna we're gonna try to help fight chaos but we're gonna do it by like messing with this faction or helping and then hindering this faction here they've been doing a lot of stuff like we're gonna kill commanders and like these commanders are ineffective against chaos we're gonna do surgical strikes against certain imperial commanders and then knowing that well then they'll be replaced by people who will actually fight against chaos and and it usually works for them but in this case they picked a world where uh, Vec knew they were going to be, so Vec basically made fake guardsmen to fight them and to start the fight. <laughs> but, hmm. but, you know, they got, but the, the, those Wily and Ari got away. That feels very Gene Steeler culty. It kind of is. Maybe that's where <laughs> Vec learned it from. Mm. Uh, so I won't give away, like, the, the culmination of the story. I am going to say I found it to be very Vigilus-esque. And if you go back to our reviews of the two Vigilus books, it basically comes down to, at the end, not much. Like, things happen, but the status quo has not really changed much. And I found that Mm -hmm. to be... I, I personally find that to be a little disappointing, considering this is supposed to be like a narrative campaign book. But perhaps you guys are right. Maybe this is more setting the stage rather than... And kind of catching up with the story rather than pushing the story into a big new direction which i'm 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 thinking slash hoping that is because technically we haven't really heard from the eldar in a while yeah mm-hmm. but one thing i i will will touch briefly on is i do like the fact that after the main story part you get the theaters of war which i mean you probably won't see any tournaments or anywhere i use them but these are good narrative stories that match up to the stories that are in the book so if you want to kind of play out the story, here's submissions to do it with. Yeah. Which, you know, that's cool. I do like that. And then we get into the main reason people are going to be really looking into the book, and that is the, the name rules. generator for the uh, for Eldar. Oh, my God. No. But the rules <laughs> section, which I, I will say, I'll, I'll, we'll get this out of the way. If you are an Eldari player of any of the types of factions, well, maybe not Harlequins, but any of the other, other three you will want to pick up this book. Yeah. Because there is so much in here for you. And also, it does say these are updated data sheets, so these replace what's currently in your different codexes. Yeah. If you are playing Craft Worlds, Drukari, or Inari, which finally have a non-White Dwarf hardcover rule set in this book, this book is, I would say, a required purchase. It is absolutely... Because, again, as Dennis said, these 
it actually says in the rule book the or in this book that these replace the rules in the the codex like for the craft world like this replaces the rules that were in the craft world's codex that was released in 2017 yeah so use this instead so yeah this is this is your new book now for everyone else and i hate saying this but it's probably a pass yeah it and i would say even for harlequin players unless you want the storyline bit this is a pass because there's nothing in here rules wise for harlequins so we got that out of the way now let's talk about the the rules and characters in here well and it has a name generator as rob said yes which i actually i i'm kind of taking the piss but i do like the name generator for the astriani name generator i do like it and they also have a Drukari one too. Yes. So I no, I think that's cool. <laughs> Don't I, I'm I'm being a, a bit facetious. I do like it. I just I thought I just like oh look that's what they open up the rules section with like point costs which are yeah. unchanged from Correct. the codex. And then the name generator. And the name generator. Normally, name generator is just something they throw in at the end. So I thought it was kind of funny that it was up front. No, but but Eldar got a lot of cool stuff. I'll say. Um, first off is the new Jane Czar, which they show off the model in the pictures. She is amazing. A lot of the changes have already been kind of leaked, or you know, they've revealed, been leaked on I mean, the, or not she, leaked, but they've been released on the. It's been Warburg released online, community. and the only change to her was she lost disarming strike. Oh darn! And gained the storm of silence, which actually would be better in certain situations, like if she's fighting a horde. Yeah, where it's basically how, mm-hmm. however many models are within two inches of her, she has that, that many, many attacks. attacks. <laughs> I'm still sad she still doesn't have an invone save, not even an invone save in close combat, but no well. Um, Howling Banshees, the only change to them is the um, Exarch can now take the Triskel. I probably butchered that. No, no Triskels. Yay! <laughs> And this is actually a really interesting weapon because it is both a shooting and a melee weapon. And it only replaces your power weapon, so you still have your pistol. So you now have a pistol, an Assault 3 um, weapon, and a melee weapon. So that is actually really useful, and it's only a six points, which is more expensive than your power weapon. But it, it's versatile, so you might see somebody start using that. I'm not sure yet. Well, of course, it you know it's assault three. Now, if you use the pistol, you can't use you can't use the triskel because you can fire pistol or like you can't fire pistol and fire another weapon at the same time. But you can still fire the pistol when you're in close combat. Yes, and then you can use the triskel in close combat. Yeah, as the melee part. Right. So sad, I mean, sadly, the strength on the triskel drops when you use it in close combat because it becomes strength user. I know the the banshee is still that that strength three is still an issue with them yeah i think it always will be but that's the only difference on them so then after that we get into this is the meat of the book i'll say is the powers of the aspect shrines yes every aspect warrior gets like this whole slew of like, it's like five, five or six different abilities that you can if you, if you take the exarch you can replace the exarch's ability with one of these abilities yep and in addition they all add a stratagem to there that says, if you pay one CP, you can choose one from this table and keep your old one. So it's like you're paying a CP to get, an extra. get an extra power. And some of these are amazing. Some of them are just whatever. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like with any, any set, it's a mixed bag. Some of them are, are a lot more situational than others. But to be fair, some of the Exarch powers in the Craft Worlds book were pretty bad. So this is a good way to kind of replace and update them. Like, it starts out here with the Fire Dragons, which Crackshot is 
nice but not wonderful. Now they do note that you uh, are supposed to add or you, you mark which Exarch powers you have added or replaced for uh, on your army roster, which would imply that this happens during list creation yes. and not at the beginning of the game. So you can't swap these out based on uh, what you think would be most effective against who you're fighting. So you're going to have to kind of like pick which fits your play style more. Which you'd probably want to do based on how they are. But like some of the highlights in Fire Dragons is Dragon's Bite is my favorite there. It's the new one that um, while the unit contains a Fire Dragon Exarch, at the start of the shooting phase, you can change your type characteristic of your fusion guns to Pistol 1 until end of the phase. So yeah, you now have pis- you now have uh, melty guns you can fire in close combat. Yes. Oh, that I've, I've had in the past, well not in this edition because I haven't used Fire Dragons much, but Fire Dragons get locked into close combat and then I'm like, okay, what do we do now? Well, now you switch your things to pistol and just blow up that knight that charged you because he thought you couldn't get away. I've had that happen. <laughs> or uh, Tank Killer, which uh, lets you, if you have an Exarch who is armed with a fire pike, then when you fight against a vehicle, you can re-roll one of the D6 on damage. I really like that one because a D6 on damage is huge. The only thing I don't like about it is the Exarch only. But the Exarch is the, the main character in the group. The other guys are just have good weapons. Yeah. And we're not going to, we're just going to do the highlights on these. We're not going to read, because otherwise we'd be reading, there's like nine different aspects, right? So we'd have right. like, fit, you know, 55 <laughs> yeah. some. I, I will say the next one up is Dire Avengers, and they, I will say, are one of the real winners here because they have so many good ones. Um, Bladestorm, Unmodified 6, gives an additional hit. And I believe that's for the entire squad. As long as the unit has an Exarch in it. Right, because it's the Exarch giving the power. Um, Avenging Strikes is my favorite. If, if one or more Dire Avengers is dead, add one to the hit and wound rolls of the entire squad. Okay, I lost one, now everybody's better. And then other kind of neat ones are Defend, minus one to hit with melee weapons, or Stand Firm, always pass morale. So you could make like a Dire Avenger squad that's just going to sit in a place and hold it. And you can also make ones that are supposed to move around and, and shoot things. So it gives you the flexibility to kind of build them to what you want to do, have them do on the battlefield. How, how big of a unit can you take Dire Avengers? Can you like blob them up to 20? No, 10. Okay. But 10. Yeah, yeah, as I said, that, pretty much five or 10. That, okay. I said, that would be really useful if you could take like a unit of 20 and then be like, nope, they just, they pass morale. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Uh, Dark Reapers have, I don't know. The, I I would always change their power out to the long range fire to give them plus more six inches to range. Yeah, because that's one thing about their like the standard uh, Reaper missile launchers that they have. It, they're actually surprisingly short range. Because where they're what thirty six, I believe so. I could look it up because the book's right here. Forty eight. Oh, forty eight. Okay. Yeah. The um, Tempest launcher for the Exarchs thirty six. Okay. All right, no, they're okay. They're for some reason I, or no, maybe it's just that their weapons are not like the standard missile launchers. They're what, like strength five? Yeah, these are only strength five if you put them in multi shot. They're strength eight in single shot. Okay, but having extra range means you can just kind of set them up and outrange other long range things. True. I mean, the other stuff for them are just okay. Um, I did like rapid shot for the Exarch because it just gives them an extra shot on their weapon. The extra shot on the weapon's good, or also the um, one that lets him re-roll the Tempest launcher number of shots, because it's a heavy 2d6, 
And being able to re-roll one of those dice can get you a lot more shots. Yes. Yeah. Howling Banshees. Uh, none of them are wonderful. They've got some good ones in there. The The highlight one, I would say, is the five-up feel-no-pain in, in close combat. No, that one's really good for them. It, it's really but good it, for except them Except that it's combat. only in... Fl- right. Yeah, if it could help them get to combat. There, I mean, the things the Howling Banshees needed help with were surviving to get to combat and being able to like kill things better in combat so extra survivability in combat's nice but if that that was like a six up in all times five up in close combat that would be a must take but eh, it's a pick and choose on that one or if they had something that gave you plus one to wound or plus one well, plus strength. one to wound or strength would be an amazing one i would always take because those are some of the weaknesses they have yeah, and also like a lot of theirs are only affect the the exarch rather than like if the squad has an exarch in it, you get a benefit. Right. Swooping hawks. I always, I hated Herald of Victory because it's like, oh, I get plus one leadership for groups around me. Yay! You can replace that with a lot of cool things now. So like intercept to reroll hits against things that fly, which makes sense. Or suppressing fire. If some, if you overwatch with this group, whoever's charging you is at minus two to their charge, which I think that's cool. Evade. A whole squad gives gets a five up in bone. That's fantastic. Or the one I think is my favorite is swooping barrage, which adds one to your more or roll for the grenade pack, which now means you'll cause mortal wounds on a five up instead of a six. Yeah, that no, that's <laughs> that's pretty nice. Um, also like one I liked was fast shot for their, cause the Exarch always has like a real, like the Exarch he has a strength four gun strength four, but it's like AP minus three. If I remember right, like swooping Hawks, like the Exarch Sunblaster, cause like their normal yeah, it's guns, AP minus three. Yeah. Their normal guns are garbage. Oh wait, no, no, no. I lied. The hit in melee, his sword is AP minus three. The Hawk's talent is only, um, AP zero. Oh, is it? It's strength five AP zero. Oh, okay, then never mind. I thought for some he's already assault four, so it adds two shots. Yeah, whoopty. Yeah. For some reason, I thought his gun was way, was like um back in the day he had two options for a gun. One was like few shots and low AP. The other one was lots of shots and no AP. Okay, so, so they decided to make him the lots of shots and no AP. Yeah, lame. Okay, see, this is what happens when you have so many versions of the game. Like, <laughs> the rules start blending together in your brain. Well, if you don't play them, if you like don't play ever. them regularly, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, striking scorpions, um, crushing blow to give the Exarch plus two strength is nice because then you can double that with his crushing claw. But then you're what strength ten? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that that's really nice. Uh, scorpion sting. F- your Manda blasters now will do the mortal wound on a five up instead of a six. So. Th- if you like doing mortal wounds, I would say that's a good one. Or I think my favorite one in here is withdraw, which lets you, after the fight phase, fall back six inches as if it's the movement phase. Yeah. I really like that because, I mean, I won't do it on my turn, but on your turn, after we're done assaulting, I will move back. So then other guys, my next turn, can still shoot you, and then I can charge again. Right. So I really like withdraw. I also like that Shining Spears get withdraw as well. That's the only one of theirs I found Well, the thing is, for theirs, it's fantastic because their lances are really only effective on the charge. So being able to pull back Mm -hmm. and then charge again. And their four-up invulnerable save is only against ranged weapons. Yeah. So if you can withdraw, then, well, 
You have your invulnerable save again. Yeah. So yeah, you're stuck. At, you you basically you you charge them on your turn. You get stuck in for a turn, and then at the end of their fight phase, you pull back, and then you can do it all over again. Yep. So that is definitely the the take on the shining spears. Crimson hunters is another one I found as a real winner because so many good ones. I mean, aerial predator to plus one damage against units that fly. So I mean helps you just take things out of the air evade here have a five bin bone i know like the drukari flyers already have this but now you can have it too yeah um hawkeye no penalty for firing heavy weapons i mean i always complain that the eldari flyers are all heavy weapons so you this fixes that problem it does i mean and the sad thing is you can only take one of these that's what makes me sad it's because all of those are really good you can take one but oh well Warp spiders actually become interesting again, because the the two that I will call out and highlight there withdraw because I just I just love withdraw. Withdraw is a fantastic ability, and then the other one is web of deceit, which is the once per battle, just pick them up in the movement phase, pick them up, put them anywhere on the table you want, at least nine inches away from somebody else or an enemy unit. Their guns are twelve inches. Yeah. So you can use this tactically to, like, if you're doing, like, a recon mission in ITC, oh, I need the warp spiders over here, or I need to put someone over here. You can pull the warp spiders, put them, or if you need to tactically try and finish something off, drop them within the nine inches, fire the 12-inch gunshots, and see if you can finish off a unit or something. Yeah. So that's the one. I mean, it's once per battle, but it's powerful enough. Once per battle should be good enough for well, you. Well, yeah, being able to, just, like, deep strike, I mean... Any unit like can that can basically deep strike front onto the table on you know during the movement phase you know not just from reserves but like redeploy somewhere that's a fantastic ability and uh, being able to do that is great and then and since you're probably not running more than one unit of warp spiders like if you've got the CP spending the one to get this ability in addition to their normal ability no what's their normal <laughs> Reroll failed morale tests. Oh well, never mind. I, I believe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, iron resolve. So yeah, no. Okay, yeah, no, no. Screw that. This is yeah. way better. <laughs> yes, this is way better. I wouldn't even spend the CP on that one. Some of these you you might spend the CP yeah, on. Some but. you might if they had some like lots of good ones, but warp spiders not so much. No. Okay. <laughs> but then okay, the next thing in the book is runes of fortune, which I was like, okay, are we getting a whole new psychic discipline? What's up with this? This is they actually did this really smoothly. I like how this is just going to fit in nicely to making your Eldari units more flexible. Because yes, it is six powers. You can only ever take one on a character because this power, if you pick one, replaces Smite. Okay, that's cool. Also, I'm looking at these. They have very low warp value. They have very low warp values because they're replacing Smite. Yeah. So you're giving up the ability to do mortal wounds to make a character to that kind of is more supporty in a way. And I think they're all four and a couple or six, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The four. Yeah. There's three that are six and three that are four. So it's everything from select a friendly craft world unit within six inches until the starting next psychic phase. They can reroll a single hit roll, wound roll, or save roll, or uh, witch strike. Uh, until the start of your next psychic phase, add two to the damage characteristic of the psyker's melee weapons. Meh. <laughs> I don't know, because Witchblades always wound on a two. They always wound on a two, but they're AP zero. Yeah, well, fair enough, yeah. yeah. 
Ghost Walk gives you uh, ex- two to, an extra two to your charge result. I do like Ghost Walk. Uh, Crushing Orb gives you a chance to do uh, one to three mortal wounds to a character. I do like that one. It's neat. Focus Will till the end of the phase when a deny the witch test is taken. So you pick a friendly model and when that when you, you pick do- one of your own, you pick a psyker within six inches of yourself and you make them deny better. Okay, that one that one's okay. And then impair senses. Choose an enemy unit within 18 inches and visible to the psyker until the start of your next psychic phase. When that unit is chosen to shoot with, uh, models in that unit can only target the nearest enemy unit. Unless the target is within 18 inches. That's it's, it's, interesting. It's okay. So, I mean, what I see about these is these can make your, your psychers, or especially the warlocks, a little more interesting. And they're, they're giving unique powers to you other than everyone has smite. Uh-huh. So... You can kind of like we did, said with the Exarch powers, pick and choose what you want each psyker to do, assign them a power appropriately, and you've got more flexibility now. Like, I truthfully might want to run a psyker or warlock close to my banshees and give them plus two to their charge. Yeah. And then we get into something that is basically <laughs> a clone of sorts from the Space Marine Codex, and that is craft being able to build your own custom craft world attribute. I love this. Now, my... My concern about this, though, is that there's, whereas in the Space Marine book, it's like you can pick, you can say, I am a successor of this chapter. I still get access to that chapter's stratagems and such, but I can have my own chapter tactic. You don't really get that with craft. There's like no all the way success. So you like, if you pick this, you lose access to the the few faction-specific stratagems, the faction-specific relics, and what that is you. true. That is true. So there is a there is a trade-off if you take these, but there is a lot of flexibility. Uh, and some some of the, I mean, we like Rob said, we won't get to all of them, but some of the highlights, like Children of Prophecy, I think is amazing. Which says, when a psychic test is taken for model with this attribute, each individual dice roll of one is instead treated as a two. That already takes one perils result out of the hood. Exactly. It takes a perils result, and the <laughs> lowest you can ever roll is a four, meaning you're going to pass all the little four tests. Yeah. If you only have to roll a four, you, you, I pass. Yeah. That is so nice. Uh, Children of the Open Skies is one you had a note for. I love Well, this is if, if you're, I was doing a jet bike army, yeah. I would want to do Children of the Open Skies for plus two movement for all the jet bikes, because anything, or it, Any, anything plus two the advance. Yeah, for anything that flies. And then the superior shurikens to have all the shuriken cannons have plus four inch range. So they could then move 24 inches and shoot 28 inches. Nice. I think that's enough mobility and shooting to make them kind of effective. <laughs> um, other ones I think I, I listed on here. I, I was kind of following up on my charging and things because I like assault armies, just like Kevin. Is headstrong gives you um, plus one to your charge rolls. I mean, that's all it does, but plus one to your charge rolls. So that, that's useful. Yeah. Um, Student of Vol is probably one of my f- other favorites other than the psychic one, which at the start of your turn, each vehicle uh, model with this attribute regains a lost wound. You get regenerating vehicles. Nice. Do you know how awesome that sounds? Oh, that is that is pretty cool. Uh, one I kind of like, if you're doing a uh, Guardian heavy army, martial citizenry, when resolving an attack made by a guardian model, so shooting, fighting, doesn't matter. When resolving an attack made by a guardian model with this attribute, reroll hit rolls of one. 
Yeah, that is nice. I just don't run enough guardians to make that. No, useful. but like I've seen some guards. Oh yeah, ar- armies that like run guardians and support platforms. And, and, and the other thing with that, that's one of the traits you pick two. Yes. So you could pick that and something else to be really useful. Let's see. Strike and fade was the other. Strike and fade is the interesting one because it's the only one in here that costs both your traits. Because it's the one that lets you um, charge in the same turn you fall back, which I think is useful. And then also within your, if you're within three inches of an enemy unit, you can consolidate. You don't have to move to the closest enemy unit or enemy model. So it's really useful if you you have another assaulty army. The downside of that is it takes up both your slots. But yeah, I mean, you consider well, or it's yeah, when a model so. It kind of banks on the idea that you've wiped out your opponent, like the the opponent u- unit, right. because yeah, as long as there's no enemy unit within three inches, you can you can uh, consolidate anywhere rather than towards the nearest. But if somebody is closer than that, then you have to consolidate into them. But that's, I mean, it's still really good. Uh, Webway Webway Warriors lets you uh, do a Webway strike one additional time per battle for each detachment in your army. Up to half the things. Yeah. Because <laughs> Wrath of the Dead, reroll wound rolls of one when making attacks, resolving attacks made by Wraith Constructs. Yes. So I can you, see that one being very useful. Oh, yeah. If you're doing some. a Wraithcraft world, that you will want to pick that one up. Yeah. Yeah. There's a number of the... Or warding runes, uh, everybody gets five up, feel no pain. Against mortal wounds only. Oh, is it mortal wounds? Ah, boo. Yeah, that that one looks really good <laughs> until you read that. Oh, against mortal wounds, you get the five up, feel no pain. I mean, mortal wound. I mean, it's still useful. But. It's still useful, but not as useful as it could be. Yep. So I really like having those. I kind of want to try it and make my jet bike army again and have because my craft world when I designed my own was it was big on jet bikes and banshees <laughs> and with a splash of harlequins and and you could actually <laughs> you could actually build something that would work. Yeah, work well for this. And then the next section is Drukari. Hey, look, Rob. See, see this? A Drukari name generator. <laughs> and with separate generators for what? Uh, Cabal, Cabal, Witch, and Coven? Correct. So three name generators in one. Yay. Um, the only new models here are new models. New data sheets here, Drezar and the Incubi. Um, and Drezar has kind of been updated through... Um, with the websites you've probably seen the changes yeah plus he, ga- he gained a wound yep and gained the lethal precision uh, trait which is unmodified wound rolls of six become damage four instead of damage two so he he can be very damaging which i thought it was interesting also they did a uh like a best of three uh jane czar versus drazar like one-on-one fights and it went uh jane czar it went one two to one and like the first one they did they're like yeah james are just ran up and just mauled him to death before he could even strike back well and then the second one was the same thing except <laughs> in reverse his yeah and then the third one was a little bit more back and the third forth. one people finally made some saves oh. yeah. <laughs> but yeah it was like she threw the triskel she threw her triskel at him and as he was prying it out of his chest she took his head off <laughs> yeah uh and then the other thing is the Incubi, which the only new thing here is, like I said before, the Clavix can take the Demiclaves. Um, there's no points difference on any of these. They are the exact same as they are in the Codex, but they do have the points listed just in case. Yes. And then you get the Drakari Obsessions. And here they have them for the Cabals, the Witch Cults, and the Covens, or the Covens, sorry. 
And just like the craft world attributes, you can pick two unless the trait says otherwise. So you can build your own cabal or witch cult or homunculus coven, but I don't, I was trying to look through these and look at the Drakari ones and like, it's hit and miss. Well, and I think with three different groups of two to choose from, and you're already in a case where the Drakari Codex, the option, like the stock options you have for their various cabals are decent. They're good. So, and, and again, it's that you lose access to stratagems also. And sometimes the stratagems you get access to for these particular subgroups are totally worth it. Like Blackheart. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, no, there's very little, unless you really want to play to a very particular style or you're playing something narrative. There's not as much call to take these as there might be to do uh, a craft world one, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll agree just because I, I I looked over these and none of them really jumped out at me. I'm like, this is what you want to do to build them. I'm like, each of, I mean, read through it when you pick up the book. Read through it. Some of them might call out to you, especially like Rob said, if you had a specific build that you like playing. Some of these might jump out at you saying, "Yes, use me." And then, yeah, build your own, because I, I think the only stratagem I would miss out on on that is, is Agent's Effect. Yeah. Because that is, like, the Jirkari stratagem. Because that's, like, the, th- the other reason you see people take Black... They, people take Blackheart for Agent's Effect, and they take it so that their their vehicles get feel no pain, because... Yeah, these, these seem more, yeah, like, nifty, neat-to-haves rather than something that people are really going to go for. And then, finally, we get into the Inari rules. Which... If you've read White Dwarf, you've got them. Except so. with with uh, some significant points changes. Yeah. Yvrain drops 17 points. The Vizark drops 40 points. And the Incarn drops 57. So these are some big point drops. Yes. <laughs> now, that said, none of the other Inari rules change. So strength from death is still the weirdly worded, you fight first... I believe it's not as badly worded now. They they call it strength from death. They don't call they don't call out soul burst actions anymore. Okay, good. That so that was it, one of the big complaints. Is like, well, they make a soul burst action. What's no, a soul burst action? They, it's all referred to as strength from death. Okay, so soul burst is is not even referred to anymore. Good, good. So it, it does. It's the same thing, but it's it's reworded and cleaned up. Yeah. But yeah, nothing really new to say on on those three because. Like Rob said, they they didn't change. Um, stratagems changed a little bit. The um, some of them are two CP to one. Some of them went from one CP to two. The only one that I will probably call out is Artifacts of Death, the Relic one. Now only you can only use once as opposed to twice. So you can only add one Relic to your army. Right. And remember, you still have to have one of the named characters in your army. In a detachment to make this a Inari army, which is not a, a, a faction. A Inari detachment. A Inari detachment, which it's still not a faction trait. Correct. Um, then the other thing that I will call out, which this felt very sisters to me, Warlord traits did not change. I uh, think which char- which Warlord traits certain characters had may have changed. Oh, I didn't look that up. I- I'd, read, I'd read somewhere that, like, a couple of them got swapped around and moved, or like new ones got chosen. Well, they seem fitting, so yeah. I didn't. 
I didn't look. That but up. also, some I've also seen pointed out like rarely are you actually going to make one of these characters your warlord because they're going to be big targets. Anyway. Yeah, and it'd be much easier to make a, an autark your warlord probably. Right. Um, but Revenant Discipline, this made me think of the sisters. The only change there is the Word of the Phoenix, which lets you bring a model back or heal a model, or if there's no models to heal, bring one back from the dead. As long as the unit's still there, that is. Only works on a four up now. Ah, uh, okay. So you have to pass the psychic test and then roll a four up. Doesn't that remind you of sisters? That does very much remind me of beta sisters, yeah. So <laughs> in the past, in the previous White Dwarf, it was just pass your psychic test, you get somebody back. Yeah. Now you have to pass the psychic test. And 50-50 shot. So, but I'll say with the Yanari, there's really nothing new, so to speak, but the point drops are nice, and it's really nice to actually have them in a book. Yeah, it's no, it, it's good that they're finally in hardbound format. Again, I'm going to say, if you are a Craft World player, just having access to the Craft World attributes choice of n- and the Exarch powers, those two things makes this a must-have book. Absolutely must-have if you Agreed. are a Craft World player. If you are a Drukari player and you want to use Drazar, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> if you want to use, I was to say, if you want to use Drazar Incubi, or if you really want to play around with the build your own cabal, build your own cult, like if you really, really want to play with that aspect for narrative reasons, then maybe. If you're an Inari player, you probably want this just so you don't have to look around White Dwarf anymore. Yeah, you'd want this as Inari, yes. Yeah. Otherwise, this is one of the first cam like the Vigilist campaign book, like their big thing was like, unless you're like Tau or Necron, this is a really good book for you because it ha- it will have something that you can use. This book does not feel that way at all. This is a this is a very faction specific book, and it makes me wonder how the other Fact, like faction psychic awakening books are going to read are going to I'm going to say exactly like that. I mean, I've heard inklings of rumors, so I remember our, our stance on rumors before, but I'll toss this one out there. Of one of them is going to be like Sisters Templars and maybe Inquisition or Ooh. something like that. Just kind of That would be cool. Kind of bringing bringing back the old gang. Yeah. And and that would make sense cuz there there are things that tie together that you could put a little story behind. And if that's the case of this, all these little mini supplement books are setting the stage for something, then that makes sense to bring factions together that have something in common to help set that stage. Yeah. Although it's interesting because, like, I know when they originally released, like, the graphic that said, these factions will be getting new rules, and then they had to update it and add, like, six or seven more factions. It's like one of them that they did have listed was Sisters, and I'm like, you're really going to do a sister's book right after you release a sister's codex? It's like, <laughs> I mean, it might be just as, as little as Drukari had in this one. Yeah. <laughs> Which. Where here's your sister's name, yeah. Generator Rob? <laughs> yeah. No, that'll probably be in the codex at this point. Um, I'm a little disappointed that this didn't have any specialist attachments, and it makes me wonder if specialist attachments are just kind of a. We tried this out with Vigilus, and now we don't know if it's a good idea, so we're going to not come see back that. to it. I could see it, because like I said about Phoenix, right? Or not Phoenix, about um, Blood of the Phoenix. As I say, the, the box, the box set. set. Yeah, Blood of the Phoenix. Um, <laughs> you can tell it's getting tired. It, yeah, we're, yeah um, it's getting late. But um, <laughs> if those had been like the specialist attachments was exactly what was in the box, then that would made the box more interesting. Yeah. But it could be like, like you said, maybe they they were set, tested them out at Vigilus and said, eh, 
or it might be these technically aren't campaign books. These are narrative supplement books. Yeah. So they didn't put detachments in there. Or maybe they're saving that for some big meta, like meta plot, multi faction set of books at the end of the series. If which they, is what I'm going to hope for. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking at this like, yeah, definitely not a must buy for everyone. De- like a must buy if you're a craft world player. Otherwise, very con- and a must buy for an Inari player. Otherwise, pretty conditional or not at all. If you are a, if you're a. Uh, a fluff reader you'll probably enjoy reading this although again i'm going to not not spoil the story but i didn't feel like the ending of the story moved the needle any and that that's always like that was one of my complaints with vigilist too it's like it felt like when vigilist was over nothing of note had really happened it moved the timeline not the needle exactly (laughs) And that that's kind of where this book lands for me. It's like, this is one where I would not, because I do not play any of these factions, I would not pick this book up at all. And then there's me who, I would always pick this book up because it's Eldar and yeah. it, it's right at my alley and I would probably use the stuff from it, like Jane's Are the Banshees and oh, yeah, the no, Craft World yeah, stuff. See, yeah, you're the perfect audience. I am for the this. perfect audience for this book. Yeah. <laughs> and Kevin's just there laughing at us. Yes. <laughs> it's, it is, I am not the perfect audience for this book. <laughs> no, no, but- you you are not. But there are, there are 12 more book or 11 more of these things coming out. So, yeah, there will be one for me. I I actually kind of like that they've – that it, this one is just like three factions and like one might be just three factions because that way I can pick and choose which ones I – which ones I need rather than every book having like everything or something for everything and then me going like, oh, cool. I have to pick up 11, 12 books to get – scraps of rules that is a good point yeah to be fair yeah this is not like yeah that this is where as much as i would love to have like a storyline that travels through the entire series i not have feeling like i have to own every part of the series (laughs) is reassuring yeah i will want to i will want to read the story bits from each one to find out what's going on but yeah, I don't feel like I'd have to own all of, all of them. Although, yeah, it makes me wonder which faction they're going to roll out next. And I'm assuming they're going to try to keep these going one a month. Yeah, I think it's going to be one a month. And I will guess, this is just a guess, it'll go Xenos, Imperium, Xenos, Imperium. Not maybe, or maybe a Chaos, Xenos, yeah. Imperium, Chaos, Xenos, Imperium, Chaos, well, something like that. And also, this one's kind of, a, also, I fi- did find it interesting that other than the the few brief times when a like an Inari versus Drukari fight is mentioned. Most of the book is not about the two factions covered in this book, two or three factions covered in this book actively fighting each other. Right. It's mostly Eldar versus Chaos. Yes. But there's like, so having like, I'm sad that they didn't print, like they mentioned Shalaxi Hellbane. They could have printed the rules for for the new Slanesh stuff in this book. Oh, that would have been yeah. That's a missed opportunity. Absolutely, because then and then you could say this is also a book for Chaos Demons players. Oh yeah, which is also right up my alley. Because I, I we just went to Iron Halo and I had all of my little cards that came out of the boxes of the Slanesh figures because that's, that's the only that's the printed rule set for them. Yeah, and that's. 
like they could have put those in especially with the final uh mission in here being like Shalaxi. fight yeah fighting Shalaxi Hellbane well he put the damn rules for her <laughs> the the rules and the point costs for her <laughs> in this book along with the contorted epitome in Celeste that would have been nice yeah this this is the book where those should have shown up or maybe Slanesh gets to be in the second book. Well, well, if they're or hinting if at a Fulgrim, if yeah. Fulgrim comes, if they do a Fulgrim release, maybe that's where they're waiting to print the all those with with the Fulgrim and all the big Slanesh hit. Yeah, which will probably be next year then, sometime. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Also, if any of this ever percolates down into a Craft Worlds 2.0 codex, eventually. I think it will, but I don't see that happening until after this whole 12-month arc is over with. Yeah, no, I could see that. I could see kind of waiting mm-hmm. till everything to be to be over. But yeah, I do think it is a missed opportunity that uh, they did not have the rules for the Slanesh Demons in here because they are key part, parts of the story, of this particular storyline. And I, I would kind of think that that would be the best way to do these books would be to have them as like, Factions versus factions, and then it's a book that's attractive to multiple. But then also because the box set was not Slanesh versus Eldar, but is Eldari versus Dukari. So it also makes me wonder, are they going to have box sets that accompany each of these as limited run stuff? I think it's, they might. It's too early to say right, for since right this now. is book one, we can't judge trends yet. But uh, yeah, I'd be, I'm mm-hmm. curious I'll be curious to see like I think by book three, we should definitely right. be able to see if there's a pattern emerging. And, and the other thing, though, about that whole the box set of Below the Phoenix is technically, yes, it is Drukari versus um, Eldari. But at the same time, you could use all of those models in there for Yunari. Yeah. Although that was also one thing I felt was kind of a missed opportunity. Something they kind of teased at when in the up, you know, the lead up to this going up for pre-order was like when they showed the Howling Banshees and like, here's like the normal Howling Banshee and then here's an Inari Howling Banshee who has like, he isn't wearing like the full face mask. And they kind of hinted that like, well, Inari uh, Banshees will play very differently than yeah than regular. No. Not n- so much. No, not at all. <laughs> Which I'm kind of still sad about because I would have, I've been talking about wanting like Inari versions of the different things. You didn't have to have the whole pick and choose rules yeah and we did not get that in this so nope. so th- what the book has is good i do think there are missed opportunities in this book so it's not a perfect book and if you're not an eldar player don't bother but if you are an eldar player it's a must it's worth it yeah, yeah. i mean I, I i like it i'm i'm but uh, i'll agree with rob that if you're not eldar player specifically you can pass and not feel like you missed anything yeah all right, so we'll look forward to seeing what book two uh, has in store, and somewhere in between then and now, we will probably talk more, like I said, more about Space Marines now, as, as especially now that the last two supplements will be coming out. Uh, but before we take off, as always, we're going to talk quick talk about hobby progress. Um, I haven't done a lot. Uh, I finally got back into. Uh, I kind of took a, a little bit of a hobby break after Iron Halo. Because we were like, one thing we did is like we relocated storage units for Midwest Conquest. So we consolidated down to a, a new special Midwest Conquest only storage unit, which is, is pretty cool. And we actually have a lot more room for mats and boards and terrain now. So since it's not a shared unit with like our other junk in it. So, 
Uh, and speaking of terrain, I've been actively collecting more materials so that, uh, soon, like hopefully this fall, I can, uh, get a few more like pieces of like center line of sight breaking terrain for, for our tables that are consistent with the other stuff that we, we have. So we can stretch out our buildings further and have like a few more consistent tables throughout. So, uh, definitely, uh, definitely looking forward to building more stuff. And then, like I said, I got back to painting, but I'm mostly working on, uh, working with more contrast paint on my Daughters of Cain stuff for Sigmar, just to, again, want to get through that before. And then, oh, and I did, uh, start stripping the two Mauler Fiends I have, so I can, I'm still trying to figure out what list I want to take for the Renegade team i think we came up with we came with up up with a good i thought a decent one at iron halo yeah so i think (laughs) and i don't know if i'm going to be i think i may may be using one mauler feed in there i have to i don't remember look look at the list again (laughs) but um but yeah i'm getting those those stripped with uh some uh, vms clean slate to uh so i can re repaint them and uh actually have those and then i can build and paint my disco lord kevin so I was planning on going to an RTT this weekend, so I was working on painting up my uh, uh, Red Corsairs list, which involved Mahler Fiends and Lords Discordant. Um, but <laughs> as I was getting close to it, uh, I ended up not going to the not going to the event, so I ended up not finishing painting uh, because I ended up making like a last minute trip to go see uh, an NLCS baseball game with my with my brothers. So. Uh, they yeah, lost that one, didn't I, they? Yeah, they lost. They lost tonight too. So by the time this airs, they will have been swept out of the playoffs. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, wah, wah, wah. but it was still fun. Uh, other than that, I haven't really done much. Uh, I picked up Shrike uh, because I like the model, and I did a uh, head swap conversion on him, which was pretty easy to do um, because the uh, the helmet that was like on his waist, you, it's pretty easy to clip off, and then you just you know swap it out uh and i think it looks i think it looks good with the with the helmet the beaky helmet instead of the uh emo swoop <laughs> yeah i saw a conversion somebody did where they did the head swap and then they they put him on a little less ostentatious a base and he'd actually it's one of those cases where a little bit less is more and it actually looks really good oh, i actually kind of like the ostentatious base but yeah i, I get it too I, I get people who don't <laughs> but uh it was a good model and i like i like what they're doing with the you know the jump pack aesthetics and stuff. So yeah, it'll be a cool model. Uh, other than that, I haven't really done much. Okay. Well, like Rob did at Iron Hill, he took a break. I jumped off the deep end. Oh, you did. <laughs> um, as the, the Havocs apparently weren't enough shooty for, for the demons and Rob and I talking about doing demons at, at, at the team tournament at, or at least not demon, but Slanesh at the team tournament at, at Iron uh, Renegade. Wow. Um, yeah, I've went ahead and picked up a night detachment. Now, you know what surprised me about that was because we had this conversation and you were like, well, yeah, but if I take a night, I won't be able to run as pure Slanesh because you don't pick, get the keyword. I don't get the keywords. It makes me sad. Yeah. You don't get the keyword for the Quicksilver throne, but then you threw in two armagers or war dogs. War dogs. I should say to go with it, which would totally blow that out of the water anyway. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I've picked up two, um, armagers with the, to make into war dogs and the, um, I must call him the night discordant, but <laughs> night despoiler. <laughs> so he's got the, the giant 
gun of laserness. So I've put them all together. So now I just have to try and put on the little other spiky bits and then get them primed and painted before he Renegade. He is so spiky. Like the carapace, which is the little spikes poking through. Oh, no, there's more spikes. There's still like eight more spikes I haven't glued on yet. Oh, jeez. And then there's a whole chain and re- chains that go on top, too, that <laughs> I, I, I was more just worried about getting the balance of the top and bottom. And I'm like, I'll finish those out, but then I didn't get a chance yeah, to. Yeah, there's a reason, like, the, the Chaos Knight kits, and, and if you look at the data sheets, they do not have options for carapace weapons because there's so many spikes and chain assemblies on them. There's nowhere to mount a carapace weapon. You To do that, you have to, like, use leftover bits to customize, like, a standard knight and use those carapace weapons. But, but no, I, I've played against knights so often I've kind of decided I want to try them out and do it. Sad thing is, I guess this is technically army number eight for me. Yep, it is. <laughs> it is a completely different army. It's got its own codex and, and everything. And this is a whole detachment for yes, that. Yes, it thing. is. So, <laughs> I'm still not counting Chaos Space Marines yet because I just I don't have enough to field an army. But you have enough for a spearhead detachment. I have enough for okay, fine. That you works. have a spearhead detachment. So does that mean this is eight and nine? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> At least you haven't gone like all in. Like you, you're you're keeping it that strategic purchasing we were talking about oh, yeah. earlier. Right. I mean, I might expand them out to make a full house sometime. Well, I guess three is a house, but I mean, yeah. it's not. An, I can't do an imp chaos knight army. Yeah. Just a detachment because these guys aren't two thousand points for right. <laughs> They're about seven hundred points for all three of them, I think, or something like that. But yeah. So. <laughs> and then you got one other thing put together. Yeah. The 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 um. What three D printed? Yeah, the so uh, we mentioned it uh, in our Iron Halo coverage, but if you missed that, uh, one of the things that uh, Jason Horn put in the swag bags for everybody at Iron Halo was he bought a brand new uh, AnyCubic Photon, which is a printer. It's a three D printer because Jason has gone really hard into doing three D printing stuff. And whereas most of us is like the standard like SLA layer printing, mm-hmm. the Photon actually builds models out of a highly toxic until you cure it in sunlight or UV light uh, resin. But the side effect is it doesn't have layers. So you can do some really smooth printing in it. And so he did like a whole bunch of models uh, that he just like he basically gave everybody like a free swag mo- bag. Yeah. And the swag bag, a free model. And it was like, he printed out like so many of this and so many of that and randomly distributed. It. And Dennis is one of the 10 lucky people to get to the emperor of mankind. <laughs> and so complete with a custom base too. Yep. And I mean, it, he just needs to be primed and paid in gold. Yeah. I will say like the, the photon printed models, um, the detail isn't at like, if you compare it to like a GW model, it's not as crisp. Oh, right. It's a, it's a little bit softer, but for a 3D printed model, like a home 3D printed model, it's fantastic. Yes. So yeah, it's, that is a really cool bit of swag to come away with. It, it, it really was. I'm, and I mean, there were some other cool ones. I heard there was like a Slanesh Steed, but yeah, I saw, I saw one of those and yeah, it looked, it looked good, but, but he, he's the big guy. He's the big guy. And again, you play custode. So he's like a perfect counterpart, even though he doesn't have 40k rules. True. <laughs> and, and so it will, but he can hang around and be the one cheering on the sidelines, put him down and, Go He's team, your objective go, marker. Go. He's a really huge objective marker. 
Because he's on like a 60 mil base. <laughs> or I could just put my command points on his base. There you go. <laughs> All like three of them you get as custodes. <laughs> Ah, well, I think that wraps up episode 203. Let's see, by next, our next scheduling, 204, maybe just before, like, see, you're out of town next week. Yep. And then the week after that is conditional, I think. Yep. So I'll try and make it happen. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we'll have an episode before Renegade. Well, before Renegade, also before Midmo Maelstrom, which is the first weekend of November. Right. Which I will be there at that event and, uh, we'll all provide coverage from there as much as I can and then talk about it afterwards. And then after that is Renegade. And then after that, I think. We might have an we might have an episode between Midmo and Renegade Mid, between Midmo and Renegade because they're still like three yeah. weeks apart. True. So, and we still have all the Space Marines to talk about, and maybe a new yeah. Psychic Awakening book. Yeah, who knows? Anything's possible. It's coming down the pipe, and we're getting closer to the end of the year, so we're going to start seeing Advent. We're yeah, I was going to say we're start seeing the uh, especially uh, for Mister Sharp who wrote in earlier. Uh, Black Library, if you want to get your students started on some cheaper ebook options, Black Library always does, like the last few years has done Advent releases where they like release new, like short stories every. So like if you want to get somebody kind of, kind of jump started on reading Black Library stuff, the, those are a really good option. They're like three or four dollars a piece mm-hmm. for the ebook. Yeah. So just different story every day. Some of them will be Age of Sigmar. Some will be Horse Heresy. Some will be 40K. And they'll all be pretty good. So, and then of course, uh, army bundles for the holidays, whatever other stuff they have coming out. So we're getting into the, the big Christmas shopping season soon. So, uh, but first we got to get through Halloween and Thanksgiving, but it'll be here before you know it. So anyway, from all of us here at, uh, preferred enemies, I'm Rob, Kevin, Dennis, good night, good gaming and one down 11 to go. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2 No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.